If you didn't know it until now, you are the Common Sense Nation. And this is Radio Free Almond. Good morning, you bunch of drunks. Finally, I can wear my my white patent leather shoes. Cause, you know, wear white after Memorial Day now, so I can break out the white. Because, you know, when I was up here, I was thinking that I was wearing uh, I was wearing white shoes in April. I didn't care. Every day of summer, as far as I'm concerned. Well, happy official summertime, everybody. Post Memorial Day. You were in the lake, right? Oh, happily. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. for a wedding. But kind of surrounded the wedding activity with uh, sightseeing. It's kind of fun. Kids saw the White House for the first time. Well, like the little girls did. And went to Arlington, which was pretty amazing. That was on Saturday. Monday, we would not have been able to get in, but went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and watched the uh, Changing of the Guard there and Washington Monument. Kind of ran into the setup for the National Memorial Day Parade, which is Hello, hello. I don't hear you, Jamie. That beautiful voice. Hair, my brother. I will donate my mic to hear your voice. Lots of cord. Absolutely. We got to have you, Jamie. Sure, of course. We must have you. Yeah, here we go. Let's see here. Let's just swap out our microphones. And, there you go. Uh, you don't want my water. Here, what you, can you uh, just undo that? And uh, There we go. Right. You're back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing also. Oh, here. I'm hearing the. I'm hearing the beginning of the show again in my ear, too. I'm hearing the intro to the show there did you turn it off okay yeah 
this is a... Uh... There you go. Yeah, you know, um, it is streaming radio. I could cuss, but I, I'm not going to do it. I, I won't do that uh, right now. But the... Um, and as I've always told people before, I said, just don't, uh, just be lucky that we're not flying your airplane right now. That, that, that's, that's what I tell people. We're not charging you, and we're not flying your airplane. So you, you, can, be, you can be happy about that whole thing. You were on Southwest. I was. I was on Southwest, and I had a great flight there. And it was the, the, I put it up on the Facebook page, and it was the flight attendant who was giving us the Memorial Day speech. And it was great. I mean, it was really so cool. This was on a Thursday when we were flying in, and it was perfect. Then on the way home, it was fine. It was Memorial Day. I think they had kind of the uh, they had the B team flying the plane this time around. It was okay. No, I mean, listen. Even the B team is good. I mean, they see. Uh, I'm not a nervous flyer, so turbulence really doesn't bother me a whole lot. And I felt like they were overly conservative regarding turbulence. I've been on bumpier flights. And I've been in situations where there have been bumpier flights. And the reality is that this was not bumpy enough to cancel the service. Let's see if this thing works here. Uh, this, this was not bumpy enough to kind of cancel. I mean, this was, oh, let's put it this way. This was not bumpy enough to deny me my gin and club. <laughs> let's, just, let's just cut right to it here. How upset were you about that? I really wasn't. I, I, just was, I, was, just, I was more like mesmerized because it was a little bit – I mean, we were going through some pretty de- decent storms, and they had to kind of go – they had to lower their altitude and go around a storm here and there. Uh, but it really, you know, telling the flight attendants to sit down and that kind of stuff, they didn't need to really do that. You felt like they were a little green. Well, I, I wouldn't say green. I love I love Southwest. I yeah, lo- I do I, too. And I really do like the. Um, what are you hearing there? Are we hearing something else here? The, the um, you guys might uh, try investing in some new equipment around here. You might that might that might actually help the matters just a little bit, or you might want to plug it into a different uh, outlet or something like that, or, or what have you. A little fuzzy in yeah, there. Yeah, just a tad fuzzy. Yeah. Um, so it's just a, yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was it was a little bit. It, it they didn't really have to do what they they did. Um, yeah, by making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. They didn't have to do what they. What they I did do for. like Southwest though, and the video that you posted on Facebook where the uh, the flight attendant doing the memorial. Yeah, I mean, that was weekend. great. That was amazing. It was really cool. And so this was a guy, though, he clearly he was an immigrant. And he, uh, you know, spoke with a foreign accent and everything else, but he was very grateful. I was actually really heartened by all of the, you know, it, it was amazing to me. There, there, obviously, there were, there were many people from the U.S. Yeah. there in Washington, D.C., but I did notice that there were a lot of people who were from different countries visiting our national monuments and things like that. It was really, it was really great to see. And I, I couldn't quite figure that out. I couldn't figure out whether or not just people from around the U.S. would not likely be in D.C. on Memorial Day because it, it's, it's a travel and it's a Monday True. and get to be at work the next day on, on Tuesday. So it wouldn't be likely that there might be somebody who isn't kind of doing world traveling or 
isn't in D.C. traveling to, to, to be there. You, you, or, you, might, you might come from Pennsylvania or do sure. whatever, but I noticed that there were a lot of people from different countries around there. We That's were kind cool. of outnumbered, which I, I, which I felt good about. But it just goes to show you there were a lot of people from foreign countries who were in D.C., who were taking in the Lincoln Memorial, who were taking in the Washington Monument, which we still can't go up in, by the way, because oh. uh, well, a while back there was an earthquake. And so you can't go up. The thing is like roped off now. Wow. Okay. So it's not security reasons. It's no. like it's an unstable. Yeah, it's unstable. Yeah. Building. But I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see. Ultimately, if this thing would, were to fall, the fences wouldn't do a whole lot of good. <laughs> but, it, but it was really cool. But, so I've, I've actually never been up in the Washington Monument. Apparently, you can go up there and you, you know. That's cool. But yeah, patriotism about it. You see in Fresno, they had this uh, series of games that were going on. And this was like at a uh, school softball championship and in Fresno, California. And they announced, because before every game, technically, you'd think they would play the National Anthem. But the guy who was the announcer, for whatever reason, told everybody that, you know what? Uh, there will be no anthem. We're just going to play softball. I think to myself, how could even if you, I don't even this guy, how could you possibly? How could those words come out of your mouth? Let's just play softball before when when you could be doing a national anthem, but you you make it a point to not to say we're not going to do the national anthem. So check this out, everybody in the stands. <laughs> Sang it on their own. Fresno, California softball fans, and, and they just took it upon themselves to sing the national anthem. And they it was did awesome. better than some of the other national anthems that I find by actual we performers. Could make, we could make that our <laughs> yes. national anthem if we, if we really wanted to, but it was really cool. Uh, by the way, speaking of the whole immigration thing, and you see, this was what they call a self-own, all right? So the all over Twitter, and this was because, you know, they... It's not enough for the left to just simply appreciate Memorial Day. They, they have to turn it into some kind of way that they can somehow downgrade the country or downgrade the Trump administration or so, something that they could, you know, they could criticize. Like when the president tweeted out on Monday, hey, uh, they, they'd be proud about how our economy is doing great. It was a tweet, okay? Yeah. It wasn't a speech that he gave at Arlington. It was a tweet that he put out. Tweets? At one, at some point, people are going to learn that Twitter is not a Bible verse. Okay, it's, it, it, that, that when someone tweets something, it's just a tweet. That's what it is. It's not a grand statement. It's not anything else. Just and President thought. Trump just a thought. And President Trump 
tweeted it out there. And, of course, this became the emblem, even among the never-Trumper crowds, the, the, the so-called conservatives out there. This became a, a, a way to deride him somehow. Like, oh, look at him making it all about him again. It's like, no, he tweeted this out saying, you know what, this country's great. Uh, and, and how disappointing is it that we have in the past situations where we didn't have people partaking in the economy, being able to enjoy the freedoms that our American soldiers fought and died for? And I think it's pretty simple. It's just a little tweet from the president. It's not his state. It wasn't his speech at Arlington, which was really great. And you guys have already heard that. But still, it was like people calm down. Anyway, what they decided to do was the left just continued to re- uh, tweet these pictures of these two immigrant children that yes. were sleeping uh, at a at a fence, like at, at the border, and it was a border patrol holding facility where these two kids were were sleeping. And one of the premier Twitter trolls out there from the left is named John Favreau. So he decided to take this picture. And he says, look at these pictures. This is happening right now. And the only debate that matters is how we force our government to get these kids back to their families as fast as humanly possible. So this was the tweet out there in the afternoon of the 27th of May. So, of course, what happens is every left-wing loon on Twitter decides they're going to retweet it, show it, boom, boom, boom. Until, of course, they realize (laughs) that it is from 2014. So that's what's so amazing about this whole thing. And they kept on, and finally they did admit, oh, sorry, that's from 2014, when, by the way, President Obama was president of the United States. So that's how that whole thing rolled, is they retweeted it, tweeted it, tweeted it, to show somehow America's shame. And I think one person maybe went out there and said, oh, sorry, that's from 2014. Now, I do believe uh, that this was not a mistake, that John Favreau took this picture and put it out there, knowing that Twitter and most of the most of the mainstream media, fake news abounds. All you have to do is throw it out there. The reality is it's like it's like throwing things on a wall. Mm-hmm. You, you throw it, a little bit of it's going to stick, and ultimately what's going to happen is the stuff that does stick is what counts. The stuff that doesn't stick doesn't count. And so keep in mind, their job was done. This is, this is how this works. Their job was done because they went ahead and did some degree of damage, and there are probably half of the people who saw that on Twitter still believe that that actually is true. And so you've got your 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 job essentially is 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 done. That you've you've done the damage, and idiots are yeah. going to believe it. And there'll still be people who are going to tweet it out there. And you could do. And and the left now has has known this, where you could get this out there. And the news media does it too, where you could go ahead and make a claim or do some kind of fake news thing. And all that happens is you don't retract it. You put the people who are the subject of the fake news in a point at which they have to deny the fakery. So President Trump denies that he ate a lizard in front of uh, yes. his children. Yep. Or, you know, well, people said that he did. Well, no, President Trump now denies it. And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders has to go before the press, and she denies that he ate a lizard in front of his children. And that's how it works. And you just simply throw it out there, put your subjects in a, in a point of denial, 
and then you're off to the races. Or you can do, for instance, what David Hogg and all of his uh, gun nuts are doing, oh, and that is going and doing these die-ins at the Publix. And the Publix has decided to go ahead and cave because what they did was they said, well, you know, we're rethinking the money that we are giving to certain politicians that support the NRA. And there's a picture out there of, first of all, it's private property. They all should have been arrested by but going into a public store into a developing story out of Coral Springs where a group of protesters led by Parkland shooting survivor David Hogg staged a die-in inside a public supermarket. They should have gone in there and arrested every single one of them. This is trespassing. That's right. And the same thing when you go to the Galleria Mall. These people all thought that the mall is public. The, the Galleria is not a public place. And the public's is not a public place either. And Publix is the grocery store chain, mostly in the in the southeast. But this is where it's gotten to the point where now you you can't you dare not touch any of these people. That now, because of their victimhood and, and their perceived victimhood, they can all do whatever they want to do. And if you dare challenge them in any way, you are to be shunned, shamed, whatever. And the Publix apparently thinks that by caving to these people, letting these people go in there and disrupt right. individuals who are spending their hard-earned money, they think that's the way to go, and it's just going to hurt them. Although, unfortunately, they don't have a whole lot of competition. Now, one of the people who, I guess she's one of the activists, Emily McGovern, she tweeted uh, a picture of people going ahead and grabbing fruit by stepping over the die-in kids. Which is exactly what I would have done. Same here. I would have. I would have kept shopping. <laughs> Same here. And, and and so these people are there. I love this. <laughs> There's this one woman who is looking at the uh, the the fruit, like the watermelon or something like that, and she's just stepping over these kids who were on the floor. <laughs> I would have too. Yeah. How and, obnoxious. Well, absolutely. And here's what ha- they did was so you had then the ACLU, which you know. At one point, I had a certain level of respect for the American Civil Liberties Union because I felt like, well, maybe they actually do, uh, maybe they do support civil liberties and 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 protect our constitution because that's really what it's about. And David Hogg tweets out, "Thank you, ACLU and Coral Springs PD, for helping us all exercise our First Amendment right." And it's interesting how they perceive a First Amendment right to be walking into a Publix grocery store and disrupting shoppers on private property. So much so they had the ACLU legal observer team with them. Okay, so these people in these blue vests, you know, that go into the stores. It's unbelievable. And it's interesting that David Hogg and the rest of the crew talk so much about First Amendment rights, considering what happened here in St. Louis, they they don't they don't really support the First Amendment as much as it's they right. claim that they do, yeah. and neither do their supporters support the First Amendment. Because believe me, if you were a supporter of gun rights and you went in and you put, and you did a die-in in a Publix grocery store, David Hogg wouldn't be out there supporting your First Amendment rights, and neither would the ACLU. No, you wouldn't have people in their blue jackets observing yeah. you. No, yeah. you'd have the police department walking you out. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and here's where you have the same problem that Black Lives Matter had as well, is that they never got they're, they're, they hide from the reality of where the shootings take place and that kind of thing. So you got a bunch of suburban white kids uh, in Florida, like David Hogg and these guys, mm-hmm. who will go into a Publix but wouldn't dare go into some of the inner cities of Orlando where people really are dying. Yeah. Where people are like like in, in Coral Springs, they'd never go to a area where the murder rate is high there. They go into a Publix. Same way the Black Lives Matter people, they you'd never catch them up at Wabada and Arlington in North St. Louis because it's not safe for them up there. So instead they go into the Galleria. And they all claim, well, we want to go where we make people uncomfortable. And the fact is that's a lie. You want to go where you know you can push people around, bully them, shame them because you don't have the stones to do it where the shootings are really happening. Like if David Hogg really cared a whit about gun deaths, he wouldn't be in a public supermarket. Correct. Yeah. No, he'd be in East St. Louis. He'd be in the south side of Chicago. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And if if he really cared, and the reality is, if we talked about this before, is that the uh, once again, in order to be considered an important life in this country, you have to die in groups, usually in a school, because if you're the poor sap who dies on the street corner in South Side of Chicago or up there uh, on Ren Avenue in North St. Louis, nobody's going to care about you, and you can die by the dozens every weekend, and nobody's going to give a rip. Even if it's your hometown like Obama's is, you could have a bloodbath in Chicago and Won't even make a headline. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad that Publix doesn't have more competition down there for people to be able to shop at. But you're right. Like, if you go down to, like, Florida and stuff like that, it's it's all Publix. Well, that's That's the the problem with... You with go. monopolies, is, yeah. is you have that, that's why, for instance, if you have like I, I think that that's the problem here, uh, even in St. Louis, when it comes to uh, a one company owning a variety of different outlets, they really don't have competition. They don't have anybody they can account to. So it's why you get the drivel you get in the St. Louis Post Dispatch, because they don't have anybody competing with them uh, in a, in a daily newspaper setting. It's why Entercom was able to be a, an enti- a corporation of cowards in getting rid of me at Emmis because they own four or five stations in town. What do they have? What do they, what do they have to care? And Publix doesn't have to be accountable to anybody because they monopolize the grocery chains down there. You you basically have to shop at Publix, yeah. and therefore Publix is able to go ahead and cave to these people because and, and to the biggest whiners among them because they don't have another grocery store that shoppers can go to when they do go ahead and cave. So so it's a, it's a win-win for them. It is. They don't have to do to lift a finger. They could they could appease the left and the progressives and if the conservative shoppers are pissed off, so what? You're just going to keep yeah, shopping. Don't eat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Don't eat, don't go to the store. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. So that's that's your problem as as you go mm-hmm. into as we as we see in the United States now. We see a a group of individuals, a conglomeration of people who own a lot of different outlets and don't have to be actually accountable to common sense or decency. They go ahead and take their wins by getting good publicity by sucking up to the left wing loons out there 
and even to the point where somebody can come into your grocery store, lay down all over the aisles for a die-in, make your shoppers uncomfortable or, or, or block an aisle so that they can't get to the Campbell's soup, and that's okay. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah. I, I, when I saw that story come out, uh, there were actually, there was one kind of funny picture that was going viral on Facebook and it was a guy wearing a pro, um, a second amendment t-shirt and he's walking and you see him kind of like stepping over him and he's in like a, it's got like an AR on it and everything. And that one, but you're right. I mean, for that guy, guess what? Next week he's shopping at Publix. Yep. Well, mm. cause you have to, because you have to. And again, that's why oftentimes, and I'm all, I'm all for economic freedom. I'm not suggesting, right. for instance, that somehow Publix be limited in the number of stores out there or that Entercom be, I really don't care, and be limited in the number of radio stations it owns. But it just goes to show you that without competition, this is what happens. So I would encourage other grocery stores and other companies, although unfortunately you can't in this day and age, well, maybe depending on the economy, uh, as as more people become stake, stakeholders, maybe we will have more competition. Uh, maybe we'll we'll have a, another Publix pop up. We've had, for instance, in a town that used to be controlled by Schnucks and Deerbergs. Now, obviously, as Whole Foods yep. and Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's, and all those places that are great places, and that's what you need is you need more competition because I guarantee you, you do a die-in at Schnucks, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. Hopefully, because Chinooks knows that there are five different choices in this town within seven blocks that you can go. And if Chinooks or Deerbergs allowed these goofballs to lay around their store aisles, uh, th- that would be the end of me ever going there. But <laughs> and, and probably a lot of St. Louisans, too. So you want to uh, I told you about HeyJackass.com, right? Yeah, but that's I'm the Chicago. To the, oh, that's, that's right. The, that's, okay. Uh, the, the, it's called Hey Jackass, <laughs> illustrating Chicago values. Now, keep in mind, I love Chicago. I go there frequently and, and hang out and, and uh, enjoy their great restaurants and those kinds of things because reality is, uh, for better or for worse, people who get shot in Chicago usually are in basically maybe one or two particular areas and the rest of it that's the rest yeah. of it's fine so that's why people unfortunately don't always care but i don't i don't go to chicago and and do die-ins either i go to restaurants <laughs> I, go to, I go to blackbird and have an exploding salad and a martini <laughs> so we have hey jackass illustrated chicago values and so far may to date 40 people have been Shot to death in just Chicago. In just, in, just in May. Now, that's not a massacre, though, because A, they're black. Mostly. Most of them are black. Right. And B, they don't die all at once. So who cares, right? That's unbelievable. So far this year, uh, we go through five months, 167,000 people have been shot and killed in Chicago. Basically, a person is murdered, and they, they have a clock on here and everything, and they have every stat imaginable. You want to know where most of the people get shot? They get shot in the torso and die. Uh, 78 oh, out of the 198 people. And this is about people getting shot, by the way. This is not just killed. 
And then you've got the uh, cause of death, uh, gunshot, and then sometimes it's the other like complications, that kind of thing. But if you go to this website, you'll see a person is murdered in Chicago every 17 minutes and 44 seconds. That is just a, per- a, a person is shot in Chicago every three minutes and 29 seconds. And they don't, you don't even. And, da- and David Hogg is at, a, is at a Publix in Coral Gables, Florida. Yeah, which is probably an extremely safe community. And Black Lives Matter is outside Nordstrom's. Mm. Yeah. That, that, that's your story right there. Let's see. Any, you want to know uh, anything else about, about the stats of who's who? You said, repeat that stat. How many have died in the, you gave, it was some crazy number. You're sure that number is accurate. Which number do you want? It was over 100,000. You said over 167 people shot and killed year to date. If you want to shot 167 shot and wounded 855 total, total homicides, uh, 201 total homicides. And so, so obviously 167 shot and killed and the rest were murdered in some other fashion. I wonder how that compares to St. Louis. So we've got, let's see, the race of the victim. Uh, let's see, of all uh, victim assailant. This is, we're talking about the murders. Uh, eight whites, 140 blacks, 31 Hispanics, and 10 they didn't know for whatever reason. So it's predominantly not in the white community. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not at all in the white community where this is happening. And they're mostly male, they're mostly black, they're mostly young, and they're mostly in just a couple of areas of Chicago where David Hogg and his team or Black Lives Matter could easily, because they know where it's happening. Sure. Like you, like, you, you, like you could look at the, you can go to Hey Jackass, David, and Black Lives Matter people, and you could go, you, you could look at a map, and, and they'll even give you a map where you can go and see all of the uh, little squares, and that's where you could just take that map with you and get on the metro and go up there. Yeah. Or go. have George Soros drive you up there in one of his buses. And, and you can, they, they show you the map for I'm sure there's a grocery you store want. up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah try, try, doing this in a, <laughs> try doing this in a grocery store run by, like, a Korean. <laughs> or, or try doing it in a, in a grocery store run by a Middle Easterner or, for that matter, a black person, black proprietor, they'd beat you with a stick if you yes, came in there and, and, and laid down on the, on the, uh, the, uh, on the floor in their, in their grocery store. They're always the one with the viral uh, like gas station videos or, or grocery store videos where they're like, you know, somebody comes in armed and they just, they don't hesitate for a second. They leave the back of there, and they just start beating them. Sometimes the video will come out. Them. It'll be a video, and it'll be on LiveLeak. And they'll, yes. come in the, they'll come in the gas station or the convenience store. <laughs> the next shot will be of them running out, being chased by an Asian yeah. dude with a broom. It's so true. And, and now, now, here's the reason why, for the most part, is that these people who run these stores, and do I wish, I think President Trump, that's why he wants to get the community banks back in order, mm-hmm. because I do believe that there's an issue in some black neighborhoods as to why people who are here 
newly here own the grocery stores and the blacks don't own the grocery stores. And, and sometimes it's a matter of getting the kind of loans necessary to start your own business. And that's been a problem. President Trump is addressing that when he approaches the community banks issue, which is a bigger story. But when President Trump was in Detroit talking about community banking, you don't realize how important of an issue that is for black communities because because if they just go to a first bank or something, I'm not, I'm not picking on any sure. one bank, but uh, because you're going to these conglomerations, they don't have to give you a dime. And, and small businesses need that help, which is why the community banking system is, is going to be growing and maybe growing some small businesses and allowing minorities, blacks in particular, to have more access to loans and, okay. and small business loans, those kinds of things. Because right now, the banks, after after the, the too big to fail, too small to survive banks, these guys are holding on to their money. And that's why community banks and the resurgence of those, that's why rolling back all these regs and Dodd-Frank and everything else will allow for more of these banks to grow. Because right now, it's impossible to have a small town bank because you can't it keep up so with all sense. the regulations but that's why you know but but nonetheless the reason why the korean guy is chasing you with a broomstick <laughs> is because he came here with nothing and started his own business and he'll be damned if you're going mm. to a rob him or b come in and lay down in his produce aisle I mean, that's that's and now Publix is probably run by oh. a bunch of white liberals who will will turn yes. around and just go, you know, and 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 just cave at every stretch because that's the most dangerous uh, specimen in the in the United States right now is the middle aged white liberal guy, yep. like the guy who owns Starbucks. Did you see this? Oh, there's this video where I I don't even under I can't even understand the video. It's okay, I'm I'm trying to go through all the invented, made-up language that they're using in this thing where they're talking about bias. And <laughs> I just was like, what are you people doing for crying out loud? But yeah, that's where we're at. So uh, we'll follow up on all that. We've got a great interview coming up at 7 o'clock with an attorney who has explored every every nook and cranny of the Greitens impeachment scandal and and I'm talking scandal because the people who are running it down in Jefferson City are scandalous, not because Governor Greitens is, but because they are. And also the case in general. He's explored every little avenue of this and has some details about this investigation, about what went down, about the indictment, everything else that you'll want to know. Because he's a guy, takes a lawyer from Ohio, basically, to kind of break all this down, but he did. And so he's going to be joining us at 7 o'clock. I will bring you the, the Starbucks thing. We'll follow up a little bit on the on the Korea thing. Bottom line is it's on again that all the left-wing media members who said that they that President Trump wanted to win so badly he'd never walk away, then 10 seconds later he walks away. Not a peep from these guys. No. Not a peep from them, even though, once again, they are wrong. So we'll follow up on that. We'll follow up on what happened to Rudy Giuliani when he dared go to a, uh, to a baseball game in Yankee Stadium. And also... Going to follow Stephen Moore, who I'm a big fan of and who is a big supporter of President Trump's uh, back in the day as an economic advisor, has some really great details about Trumponomics, as he calls it, and the GDP and really, truly how this country 
and its economy is growing faster than anybody ever expected and certainly faster than the never-Trump crowd and the left ever thought it was going to. So Stephen Moore, he's writing about this actually in the Washington Times, although you usually find it maybe at Forbes or whatever. But this is really a great piece, and we'll follow up on that as well. Maybe take a couple phone calls here and there, and also, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the trip to uh, D.C., which was uh, really fantastic. It was really very moving. And once again, Arlington National Cemetery is just an amazing place. Hard to believe, too, and with the kids in there, and you know who really wanted to go and and see what was going on? I I was really privileged to have my Army veteran son with me as well. But then my ten-year-old daughter Natalie really wanted to really wanted to go there, and uh, so we went and also saw and and saw the uh, the changing of the guard there. Yeah. And it's just hard to believe these guys are there twenty-four-seven, buddy. It's really amazing. Yeah, I watched those videos. Yeah, listen, I'm not cut out for that job. Oh at yeah, all. yeah, <laughs> that's unbelievable that yeah. they're able to do that. All right, so we have all that down the pike for you. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming Still there, oh, say, die. 
Giuliani is there, okay? I'll play it for you. And they're announcing all these the, the birthdays, you know. <laughs> now keep in mind. The Yankees, the, the Yankees would boo Babe Ruth. I am not kidding you. Yankees fans, they are the worst. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton, for instance, hits two home runs the first game. If he doesn't hit a home run for another week and a half, he could. They boo their own players there. Oh, that's a rough so Giuliani crowd. getting booed is not some big deal. It just goes to show you, first of all, what buffoons a lot of these people are there and. At Yankee Stadium. First of all, Giuliani did more to clean up that city than any other mayor before or after him. And maybe Mayor Koch did did a, did a good job with that. But but he he's done a great things for the uh, New York City, and, and and also it might be because of his standing up for Trump, doing whatever. Of course. But the reality is, though, keep in mind. There, there weren't that many boos, considering how many people people will boo their own players. I mean, they, they're they're a pe- they treat Stanton or anybody else on that team harder than they treated Giuliani there. So just keep that in mind. My brother's a Yankees, Respect. lives up in New York, and he's a Yankees fan. And so, yeah, they'll they'll boo they'll boo their mother in at Yankee Stadium. I did see that article. They were, you know, that was you a see, big deal. You see uh, these NFL players. Might sit out the season because unless Ka- Colin Kaepernick yeah. uh, and Eric Reed are signed. So you have um, <laughs> these guys who are uh, they've. This is this is Sean King is reporting this, and and they didn't name any any of the football players, 
But this guy says several star NFL players have told me that they are considering sitting out the season until the de facto ban of Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick is removed and both men are given spots back on rosters. And one of the things people keep forgetting is that Kaepernick sucks. He's not that good. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so he's not, he's, not a, he's not an NFL level quarterback. No. Anymore. I, you know, and he at one time was, but he's not. So part of what I was thinking when he first did the whole national anthem thing, my view of the Kaepernick deal was that he was doing it to preserve his job. Absolutely. Because, because they couldn't fight, because he could claim free speech, although it didn't stop anybody from telling him to take a hike. But, but I think at first he thought maybe this would keep him on the playing field because nobody would dare tell Colin Kaepernick to take a hike after he stood up yes. for righteousness and for the left and against the American flag or the national anthem, whatever have you. And they did it anyway. See, I actually like this story. Because it's a classic case of if you perform, you could go do all that stuff. Teams will still bring you on because they will because they're like, well, he's good. You know, it's like the it's like the top salesman that doesn't ever show up for the sales meetings. Yeah, it's like they care to an extent, but they're like, well, he also is the number one salesperson in the in the in the whole company. As long as you're performing, Amen. you're the best. And if you're not, you're not going to be kept on a roster. And it's interesting how these folks are now insisting. I mean, some of them, I hope, I, I don't imagine any of them are wide receivers, right? Because you wouldn't, <laughs> you, you wouldn't really want these. I, I guarantee you, whatever list of NFL players are sitting out the season, they're not people who might catch a pass from a quarterback because they wouldn't be catching a pass from wobbly Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I like it. I don't think they are going to bring him back. And it's like, as you said, it's because he's not good. Yeah, I don't think the guy could even throw a spiral anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you see, uh, so ESPN, okay, after losing tons of subscribers, tons of people because of Janelle Hill or whatever her name is, and all these left-wing people on, I don't understand where, why that is a thing. In sports, sports broadcasting, sports writing on ESPN, you name it, why these people continue to kind of take on this never Trumpist thing? Yes. Like, what does it have to do with your coverage of sports or baseball or football or I don't, I don't, or basketball? I don't really get it, but I think that's the thing: is they have to kind of suck up to the left because, of, oh yeah, presumably I don't know, they, who knows? So ESPN now has rehired Keith Olbermann. <sighs> Gosh. Yeah. I thought he was gone. He, uh, this is a guy who wrote a book <sighs> called Trump is effing crazy person. And this is not a joke. Trump is effing crazy. This is not a joke. That was the title of his book. Where he's, where he's on the floor, by the way. With, a, with an American flag over him, much like the, you'd have a blanket, but the flag, half of it's on the floor. That's your new hire over at, uh, over at ESPN. And you, you should, you, you, I'm, I'm looking at some of his yeah. tweets. I'm looking at some of his tweets where, again, uh, unfortunately, that's just where so many good things go to die on Twitter. 
But you've got Keith Olbermann basically uh, calling anybody who supports President Trump a white supremacist, mm. a neo-Nazi. And he, it's a you racist Nazi Fs is one of his tweets. Okay. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And he, he, here's his tweet from, from just last year, last August. He said, you and at POTUS can go F yourselves, you racist Nazi Fs. There's your new, new hire over there at ESPN. Does anybody under, now listen, one of the things I loved about <laughs> Oberman, though, when he was in sports, I do have to tell you, Oberman, when it comes to commentary, is probably one of the better writers out there. Probably, if you were going to give, like, a Pulitzer to the biggest a-hole in the world, <laughs> he, he, would, he would get the okay. a-hole category, because he's really good at, at his genre, which is, I'm Keith Olbermann, and I'm an a-hole. And that's kind of what his thing is. But he's really good at being that he way. He owns it. So you have to admire yeah, how okay. much of an a-hole he really is because, you know, he basically embraces the, the a-holeness, which is good for him if you, can, if you can get away with it. And apparently he is getting away with it because he's back on ESPN, then, then great. So he was good at what he did even when he was doing his – at one point he was doing a show on MSNBC. Yeah. And at one point actually it was just a regular news show. Until, for some reason, whatever happened, he became kind of crazed about GW. So GW like was living rent-free in Olbermann's head constantly. <laughs> and it became like this gigantic big thing for him every single night to go after GW. And he was in the, in the war in Iraq, and he just be, that was his thing. That was after he had already been at ESP, in, in the sports world, where he was actually pretty good at what he did. I mean, he was a pretty good sports guy. Now, I don't know whether he's just going to stick to sports this time or what he's going to do, but he's... Um, Impossible. Impossible for him to just stick in sports. See, and I didn't follow him while he was in... Well, he originally did sports, but I saw him when he was with MSNBC, and it was just awful. The show was awesome. See, I, I can't get into him at all. I don't think he his delivery to me, his delivery style just sucks. Well, if you again, uh, I, I was saying that that if you like the a hole genre, yeah, then, that, okay. then yes, he was ta- he's very talented at being <laughs> yes. being an a hole. I mean, that's so. That, and I'm just saying that if that's your brand, he, you, you know, then it. then yeah. I mean, you, like you might think that cream de menthe sucks <laughs> but if, if the people who make it make it well then you have to say well, yeah that's that's good i'd never drink it but it's pretty good cream de menthe do people still drink cream de menthe by the no. way no <laughs> peppermint schnapps <laughs> oh god <laughs> Lord. oh goodness Imagine getting people uh, the things that people get drunk on would be i don't know how you do it like uh there used to be, a th- I think, uh, do people still drink Fireball at the rate they drank Fireball once? I think it's still hot. Trust me, I was just at the Lake of the Ozarks. It's still hot. Still hot? Oh, yeah. They take it with, like, Red Bull. Oh, and yeah. They, oh, yeah. gosh. Whew. Yeah. A lot of college students involved in that. <laughs> yeah, I went to visit my daughter up at IU, and they and, and we went to a bar where they were all they were doing was drinking fireball and I had not really consumed it at any level before and didn't uh did not benefit from my experience. <laughs> so you did. 
Partake. Yeah. Okay. But, but remember the whole thing where people used to drink Goldschlager? Oh, they still yeah. do that? Oh, and light it on fire because oh. it would. <laughs> people, please. <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? Aftershock. Oh, man. Yeah. When there's such things as High West whiskey out there and Hendrick's gin, <laughs> why are you fooling around with that other stuff? Or 11,000-year-old water. Yeah, you got some of that again, oh, too, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yep, I could see the... Could you see could the see it. Amoeba sex leftovers <laughs> in there. You see this, CNN. Uh, this is... this is. It's gotten to the point where now, and like, speaking about Olbermann and, and Twitter and all these guys... Where they are now to the and even like like for instance their big miss when it came to trolling President Trump utilizing these two kids at the border facility when it was a 2014 picture these guys are trying everything imaginable to just troll this guy and pick on him every stretch of the way like for instance I think that some people on the right for instance are picking on Hillary you see what happened when. They took pictures of her yes. with, like, she's dressed up like it's wintertime. What's, what's that on her back? It's like, who cares? If the woman is sick or needs, like, some brace or something, why are you, why are you picking on her for crying? I mean, I, I get it when it comes to her policies and she's sitting in, on some stage in India talking about how she never should have lost the election. I get that. That's all fair game. But at some point, it's like... Okay, dudes, she, she, she clearly has some kind of medical condition. She's wearing some kind of brace on her back, doing whatever. And I, it's like at that point it becomes a little bit too much. It was valid during the election, I thought, because it did – they were talking about it with her health. Right, and, I, and I, I'm not As talking president. about the election. I'm talking about like right now Post. where they're, where they're, where they're yeah. following around at parades and things like that and I saying, that. look, she's wearing a coat at 72. It's like, okay – uh, yeah. Yeah, I, doesn't I, I matter it. anymore. It's, it's some, somebody's got clearly she's wearing a brace or something, but who gives a rip? Then you have uh, this CNN story about a uh, so teacher took a letter uh, that she got from the White House, which was signed by President Donald Trump. Now, the letter was apparently written to her in terms of lauding her work as a teacher, and it was just kind of one of these form letters type of thing. And so what she decided to do was the teacher decided to uh, give the letter the red pen treatment, meaning she went through the letter sent to her by the White House, sent and signed by President Trump, probably with an auto pen, sure. in all likelihood. Who, who knows? Because I, I think that's what the president, they have auto pens, things like that. CNN decides to do a whole story on this teacher who made the corrections and then sent it back to the White House. I mean, it's a real story, people. All right, take a look at this paper. I know it looks like another grade school paper, right? There's some errors, teachers correcting it. Well, if you take a closer look, yes, it says the White House there. This is a letter from President Trump to Yvonne Mason. She's a retired English composition teacher. And it's full of what she calls, quote, silly mistakes. And she received it in response to a letter she'd written about the Parkland, school, Florida school shooting. Uh, Mason did what she always did at school. She corrected the writing. She returned it to the White House. And, and even she says, listen, the form letter was most likely written by a staff member, not by the president. But the president did sign it. 
That's 43 seconds of your life you're never going to get back <laughs> if you're watching CNN. By the way, I was at in D.C. yesterday at a place called the Shake Shack. Now, apparently the Shake Shack is owned by a St. Louisan, but he started it in New York, and now there's a Shake Shack in the Central West End that is slammed every single day. So I'm at the Shake Shack in, I'll send you the picture. I'm at the Shake Shack in D.C., and it is, and how sad is this? It's the first time that I've ever been to a restaurant where they had, like when, when they do have TVs on, they had Fox News on every single TV in there. In Washington, D.C.? I'll send it to you. you put, it in yeah, the, put it in the comment section. Yes. So I don't know uh, whether or not that's, that's news to the Shake Shack guy, but I'll tell you one thing. It was nice to see. So much so that I took I said just sent it to you okay, via text. Cool. So much so that I actually took a picture of the thing uh, to post at some point. We can put it up there now. Yeah. But how weird is that to think that's a big deal when you go into a restaurant and they have Fox News on instead of CNN, where they have it everywhere. You go to, I couldn't, I was at the, at Reagan National, mm-hmm. there wasn't a Fox News TV on anywhere. It was all CNN, all, all that kind of thing. But Fox News was on, buddy. Yeah, maybe he's a conservative that owns it. I don't know. He's from St. Louis, so maybe we'll figure it out. And Shake Shack, by the way, once again, I love going to these places where they have a really, seemingly a, a really good business model where they... Get that food. They get it out to you. I mean, even if they're slammed, they're fast. I don't know how they do it. It's kind of like Chick-fil-A. You, know, you go in there, you're mesmerized by just how good at how good they are at service. How and have how they not fast. heard of this place? It, it's here. In well, St. there's Louis. only one of them here in okay. St. Louis. It's not like it's not like Five Guys or those other okay. places. It, it, it's 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 there's only one of them in St. Louis that I know of, and that's in the Central West End. But apparently, it's all the rage on the East okay. Coast. And so it's called the Shake Shack, and yeah, shakes burgers. But boy, oh yeah, shakes burgers, chicken, whatever. And you know they don't toy around with. Um, I notice that they don't toy around with giving you cups where everybody kind of lines up at the at the soda dispenser, or whatever. Yes. They they basically they they dispense it themselves. I prefer, and that. we'll get it to you that way instead of you standing in line, and probably cuts down on the number of people who just go back to the thing. <laughs> And fill up again or do whatever, you know. So it's really it's a it's a great model, but so congratulations to whoever owns the Shake Shack. If some of you on Facebook know who it is, uh let him know we appreciate the fact that at least he seems m- more fair and balanced than some of the other cats out there. Yeah, some people have actually gone to somebody said I started to go to the Shake Shack in New York and it was pretty good. Yeah. Did they wow. have ask him if they had did they have you can. Did did they have the TVs on Fox News in New York? <laughs> Because this was in this You're going to be the only one to pay attention to that, by Well, the way. I mean, I pay attention to it because, I mean, I'm not particularly allegiant to Fox News. It just so happens at the time we were there was the time of Shepard Smith's show, which is an insufferable uh, TV time. He wasn't on, thankfully. It was somebody else, but I wasn't really paying much attention to it. But, yeah, it was, it was Shepard Smith, that whole, that whole daytime lineup there with Dana Perino and her dumb dog Jasper. And Shepard Smith. <laughs> Were you a Greta Van Susteren fan? Um, somewhat. She was a little boring to me. But she was she boring was, to me she too. Was, but she was pretty good at what she did, though. She was. I don't know where she wound up. She went over to MSNBC. I thought. Oh, okay. That remember that whole big yeah. switch up when they were all 
Everybody was trade. It was like trading players of of news commentary. Well, apparently, it wasn't big enough because I have never seen her show yeah. over at MSNBC. Was- but that whole daytime hour there, yeah. the Shepard Smith thing, and and Shepard Smith. It's one thing if 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 they called it the Shepard Smith show, yes. but they call it the news deck, and so therefore you're assuming like it's news. And and it's really not. It's Shepard Smith's opinion about the news, which I'm perfectly okay with. I, I say the more opinions, the better. I'm all for that. But I would prefer it if you would just tell me. I, I, maybe they still. Maybe they do call it the Shepard Smith News Out. I don't know. Either way, it's purported to be a news show when it's actually Shepard Smith blad, blathering on about uh, his left wing viewpoints. It's kind of crazy. Hey, Eugene, how you doing? Hi. Hi, it's Jamie Allman here at St. Louis. What's going on, buddy? Thanks for being with us. How you doing? Are you in Ohio right now? Is that correct? Hello, Eugene. I'm sorry. I'm. You're broken up. You're breaking up. Am I? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, now I do. Yeah, okay. Uh, Eugene Burnett, he, he wrote, he's a lawyer, and he wrote an exhaustive bit in the, uh, about what's going on with the Eric Greitens case. And this was really, I mean, this whole thing has been deeply disturbing. You looked at it from a bunch of different angles and discovered that this thing is even worse than it even may appear to those of us who are just simply, well, we think we are, looking at it pretty closely, but man, uh, can you start from, from point one, Eugene, about this particular case and why it's deserving of more scrutiny, perhaps even to the point where a special prosecutor ought to look at it? Uh, yes. I mean, it is one of the more disturbing things I've ever seen. Um, I would start out by looking at how this whole thing surfaced. Uh, with L. Watkins and the money, I right there you have your first big question. Uh, I would also point out one question I've never seen anybody really address is the initial indictment. Why is it in the footer dated twelve twenty two seventeen, ostensibly three weeks before it ever became public and any investigation occurred? Well, well um, why do you think? Why do you think it was in looking at this? To me, it would suggest that Kim Gardner was involved in something much earlier, uh, perhaps with L. Watkins. I, it would explain why she didn't rely on the St. Louis Police Department. Uh, also, I'm curious to why, for really a basic legal case, why they needed um, Ronald Sullivan, a special prosecutor who seems to have real no prosecutorial experience. It was certainly a massive waste of funds, which also is, I haven't been able to get an answer to, is was perhaps a third party paying for Mr. Sullivan and Mr. Tisby, uh, which again suggests some serious questions. I'll tell you one of the first things that real, always intrigued me about this was um, the initial statement, the statement released by uh, Katrina's attorney referring to these things as allegations about her private life. When you use the word like that, it's almost a denial. And that's when they were talking about the photo and the the so-called blackmail. That's never rang true. 
And it's almost as if, you know, somebody, perhaps Kim Gardner, who we know has a history now of suborning perjury, perhaps in some way intimidated her. And, well, and, and that's she, one of the right. And she was also she was also, though, the hairdresser for Representative Stacey Newman, mm-hmm. uh, who is the one who directed her, uh, Katrina Sneed, who directed her to the Kim Gardner to begin with. And, Correct. And, and as a state representative, I guess it's obviously her right to do such a thing. But clearly this is leading me to believe that this whole thing was really kind of a setup eventually. Because the story we were hearing at first was that Katrina Sneed didn't want to be exposed. She didn't want any part of this. This wasn't something she wanted to do. And then suddenly... A few weeks later, she's at the forefront of an indictment. She's being interviewed by an impeachment committee, and it just all seems distinct to high heaven. It, it certainly does. I mean, look, just looking at Kim Gardner from just strictly how she's conducted the case, it's. I sometimes wonder if she even knows what the rules of professional conduct are or just simply can't follow them. I, you know, meeting alone in a motel room with a, an alleged victim, a prosecutors don't meet alone with witnesses or victims because of the precise situation she finds herself in now, a witness. Why wouldn't this um, be a situation where we have a special prosecutor looking into this in terms of the misconduct? I mean, it just seems to me that even the Republicans down in Jefferson City don't seem to care about the variety of ethical violations, sometimes even legal violations, perjury that we're seeing where you have individuals who have uh, lied about the circumstances of interviews, claim they weren't taking notes when there's video of them taking notes. It seems to me this thing is, I, I see nobody as the point person to investigate the investigators right now. I absolutely agree. I, and I think part of it is, you know, I'm not, into the Missouri politics, but it seems like they just have always hated uh, Governor Greitens. And, you know, whatever they have to do to get him, they'll do. You know, the law and ethics be damned. Eugene Bernat has a petition right now on change.org, and there are a variety of points that he makes regarding uh, this, uh, what he calls a coup against Governor Eric Greitens. And that is a great way to put it. As far as I'm concerned, these Republican lawmakers down in Jefferson City have zero credibility in going after Governor Greitens, mainly because uh, they all have a lot to lose if Governor Greitens continues in office in the path that he's promised to take. So many of them have a vested interest in getting rid of him, and therefore, to me, are severely compromised when it comes to uh, this approach. And on top of that, we elected Governor Greitens. They didn't. And we voted for Governor Greitens, and they probably didn't. And Governor Greitens' future shall be decided by us, not by some hack down in Jefferson City who is an elected representative. And as far as I'm concerned, 2020 is the time for people to render their verdict regarding how they feel about Governor Eric Greitens and not now. But let me ask you something about the situation regarding Chris Coster. And it was interesting that you point out in your petition that the situation regarding this audio recording, the Chris Coster gubernatorial campaign, they were aware 
of this audio recording, correct? From all the testimony we have, yes. And why didn't the recording and all of that come out during the election? I have no idea. That is mind-boggling. I mean, if you have this tape that supposedly shows the opposing candidate blackmailing some woman, you have to use it. Of course, it would suggest to me, you know, maybe they didn't really believe what was on the tape. Hmm. Or, I, or, or think, is it possible that some of them actually knew her already? Is that possible that somebody from the Coster campaign actually was already familiar with Katrina? Well, we know Costner was um, getting haircuts from her as well. Gotcha. So they definitely knew. Yeah, that's what I was getting at, because that's exactly what I understand the case to be, too, that actually it was Costner himself who knew Katrina, correct? Yes. I see. And so I I would imagine that if Costner knew her and was as protective of her as Stacey Newman seems to be, that Coster would have raised a, certainly raised a red flag about this and said, this is horrible what Governor Greitens has done to her, this affair that he's had with her, this is terrible. And if it's gotten to the point of an impeachment, you would think that this would have been just simply really an important thing to bring up during the election. But for whatever reason, Chris Coster and his team didn't want to bring her up in this election when actually it could have been a big deal for them. And certainly all this concern about her and her being a victim, certainly Chris Coster would agree with Stacey Newman that she was a victim. I'm wondering why Chris Coster wouldn't step up. Uh, He's running for governor and say, this is horrible what Governor Greitens did to Katrina Sneed. I absolutely agree. You know, I don't know if he has something there to hide or not. I mean, well, I he knew her, though, about, right? Yeah, so, so they, 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 yeah. they knew each other. So I'm just trying to figure Definitely. out why Chris Coster wouldn't have been a person who would just simply uh, raise the red flag and carry the mantle and why he left it up to Stacey Newman post-election to get her going and, and go after Governor Greitens. I'm just wondering, has Katrina Sneed ever been asked about Chris Coster? I know in the House testimony she was asked and described him as being sort of like a father to her. Uh-huh. Aha. Oh, that's interesting. Not very, yeah, not very protective of his uh, surrogate daughter, I guess. No, that's interesting. And, and considering he's not really that old, uh, I'm interested how, how she uh, considered him a father. Did, did she say whether she thought of Eric Greitens as, a, as a, like a father to her, do you know? I, I didn't see any statement like that regarding him. I see. Just I how see. she had a big crush on him and thought he was so perfect. And yeah, yeah. Eugene, are you? Have you been contacted? Are you in any way uh, working with the Greitens team or the his his uh, you know uh, legal team? No, no, I'm not. It seems like they need somebody who understands the Well, they, they, the, the, the thing, but the thing that Eugene is telling us is nothing that the committee doesn't already know, okay. which is really interesting to me since you, you, all you're doing, Eugene, is doing what, for instance, oh, let's say the Post-Dispatch, the only major St. Louis daily, is not doing, and that is telling a story and recounting details 
that are already in committee reports and beyond, which is why I find that interesting. I'm still fascinated by the fact that Chris Coster didn't see fit to uh, spill the beans on this affair that she was having with Governor Greitens. That's interesting. And, and how, in fact, there were people, including Roy Temple, with the Democratic Party who had the, had the tapes and everything, and that suddenly it was post-Greitens' election that this, this came out. I'm still fascinated by all that. Well, going back to the incestuous relationship with anybody, I, I don't know if you've heard that uh, Jay Barnes is apparently planning a statewide run in 2020. I uh, don't know what office, but he's filed for um, a campaign finance committee for that. Who's that? Which, uh, Jay Barnes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Which kind of raises the question if, you know, for example, John, you know, does he have some kind of connection with Parson? You know, get Greitens out maybe if Haley wins in November, you know, become the appointed attorney general and run as an incumbent in 2020? That's what I'm wondering. Oh, I'm too. And and of course, you have to wonder, none of these people have any credibility, Jay Barnes, uh, namely, and Parson is is just hunting. They they were, as of a month and a half ago, meeting to discuss the makeup of their cabinet. I know that for a fact. Absolutely. These guys, these guys have been, have been after Greitens for a long time because these, these guys all, there's a lot of money at stake here. If Greitens goes ahead and and ends the, uh, the tax break program, tax credit program, everything else. Interesting too, that the committee uh, isn't allowing any cross examination of the witnesses brought before this committee. I'm talking about cross-examination by Greitens' defense team, which I find uh, reprehensible. And although I think it's happened before in impeachment proceedings, uh, I'm, I find that interesting that, that, uh, that it's happening here in, in when the stakes are so high. Definitely. I mean, I know at least three of the committee members are attorneys, including Barnes, and they would under they should understand how fundamental cross examination is to truth seeking, which just goes to show they're not really interested in the truth. I mean, I point out we now know Barnes knew of the tapes in January. We know he was dealing with Scott Foon in January. He hid the money from. Uh, Governor Greitens' legal team just last Kim Gardner did. Mm. It, it's really incredible. Let me uh, move on to the mission continues because that's going to be because because they keep on piling up all these charges on uh, on Governor Greitens, and so the latest one is this computer tampering allegations where there's a claim that Governor Greitens stole the mission continues donor list. What do you know about that? Well, that's kind of easy. The list of names of people donating $1,000 or more to the Mission Continues is posted on the Mission Continues website. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, granted, it doesn't have contact information, but even as the Ethics Commission pointed out, they were able to find the information with a simple Google search. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, I, I, you you could find you could get the names of anybody if the, you see their names. They're, they're very easily contacted. That's for sure. Now, what about the claim that Governor Greitens filed a false document with the Missouri Ethics Commission? What what do you know about that? 
Well, first of all, they complain about the date. Well, the Ethics Commission and Greitens team agreed the date was uncertain. They put March 1st because they agreed it was sometime in early 2015. In my book, March 1st is early 2015. And we know that the list was compiled from several other ones, the one actually brought into the campaign, compiled by Loeb and Hafner. So it would seem fair to list Loeb as the person who brought it into the campaign. I, I mean, I don't know who else you would list. Yeah, I, I think yes. I, that that's the point here, and and so right now, what we had is also then the release of the committee report, which I, I'm confused about the timing of the uh, release of this committee report. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, it was an incomplete report. They acknowledged that much. They released it a month before a trial. Again, going back to pointing out some of these people are attorneys. They understand about tainting a jury pool. They understand the problem with a one-sided report. I mean, I can't come up with an explanation other than either A, they were trying to force him to resign, or B, they wanted to ensure he didn't get a fair trial. I mean, I think that's part of the reason they were always pushing for resignation because in Missouri, the Senate, the case is tried by seven judges, and I think they don't like their chances if you have a competent panel of judges looking at this. The, this so reminds me of what happened with President Trump, and uh, we're talking with Eugene Bernard, who's extensively covered and explored this sham case against Governor Greitens, and in fact has a petition there at change.org, which I encourage you to go on and sign, and it's uh, entitled Urgent Stop the Coup Against Governor Greitens. So far, 2,300 people have signed it, but change.org is weird because the only problem with change.org, Eugene, sometimes, and they, and they did this with me uh, when, when I was run out of the, uh, after my, my company breached their contract with me, uh, that, that yes. a lot of people who are conservatives don't want to go on to change.org mm. because they, they don't want any of their information on there because they don't know what change.org is doing with it. So all I'm telling people right now is that doesn't mean you don't go there and sign it. All I'm saying is that if you look at it and say, oh, well, only 2,300 people signed that or, oh, blah, 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 the reality is it's probably 10 times that, the number of people who know that this is an absolute sham, but you just don't you, – you, there's just a lot of people who aren't, for whatever reason, going on to the site uh, to, to go there because they're suspicious of the site. Now, I will ask you, though, in terms of um, what you hope comes out of this because – the reality is it is a kangaroo court down there. It is a banana republic up here in the formulation of Kim Gardner's circuit attorney's office. So once, once he is, uh, well, to, in my, I'll use the word freed, which I think is coming, uh, I do believe that there needs to be somebody appointed from outside the realm here. I know the defense attorneys have gone and filed a complaint with the police department regarding perjury, but this needs to this needs a special investigation. This needs a committee to investigate the committee. This needs a prosecutor to investigate the prosecutor. Definitely. I'm not sure under Missouri who law would appoint that and I, I wouldn't if it's uh, Josh Haley, I wouldn't hold out my hopes on him. You're talking about Josh uh, Hawley, yeah. Thing- 
Yes. Um, the best thing probably would be for particularly Greitens attorneys to file a complaint with the Office of Disciplinary Counsel. While they can't take criminal action against Gardner, they certainly can pursue her disbarment, which is absolutely necessary. Well, and hopefully, ultimately, when it comes election time, I think this is another way that people can act. Uh, to me, every Republican, and I'll just deal with Republicans right now, every Republican who stood up there urging the governor to resign, because I think I'm going back to your original point, this reminds me so much of the Trump situation where they tried to get him out by just simply harassing him. Uh, the, all the never-Trumpers, when they did their National Review article about Trump must be stopped, or because they, they knew what was at stake there, and that was ultimately uh, their book deals and, and, and their future, their, their sky-is-falling radio shows and everything else. And so they knew that they were going to be kind of out of business and that Hillary Clinton was actually better for them in office uh, than Trump would be because it helps them sell books and sell their national reviews and all that kind of stuff. And then you had people in the aftermath of his election then with the FBI investigation, all this kind of stuff, wanting to run him out that way. And so they're pulling out all the stops. And so I would recommend to people uh, come election time, because this is already happening on the national level, Jeff Flake uh, is so disgraced he can't even he won't even run for Senate again uh, uh, because he knew knew he was going to lose. Is it locally? You need to be able to call the names of every Republican who stood up and called for pre, uh, for Governor Greitens' resignation and make sure they do not get reelected. That's 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 the only way you're going to be able to get these guys. That's the only way you're going to scrape the cancer out of Jefferson City and out of the Republican Party. Definitely. All right. um, we're going to put. A, wanna... Yeah, go ahead, buddy. No, go ahead. We're going to put a copy of this change.org petition up there. We'll put a link yeah. to it in the comment section there of our Facebook, and we'll put it up uh, on on the website as well at radiofreealmond.com. And so you guys can see what this. We'll put a link to that up there, so you guys can see what this petition is all about. And Eugene Burnett Thank basically you. rolls this, lays it all out there. What we just talked about. And so anything else you want to add, buddy? Really appreciate you joining us. No problem. The only thing I'd other add is I found the audio tape or audio recording of between us, Phil and Katrina, very interesting because she seems to refer to the affair as being lasting already at that point three or four months. But if this was made at the end of March, how could that be? Or was this tape made much later? It seems there's some questions to be asked there. Well, okay, so let me let me explore that for a second because if we were to let's 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 talk about this much the same way we talked about Coster and the hairdresser. So you're saying that there's a possibility, and of course we're not saying this as a matter of fact because we don't know, that you're thinking the Correct. timing of this is odd to the point where it seems that there might have been a recording made after really everything happened, correct? Correct. And I point out, um, though we've never seen the full letter, uh, Sheena's letter to the committee seemed to suggest the team came much later. So you kind of wonder what Greitens team knows. Yeah, because uh, because ultimately then at that point, then you're wondering, maybe these two, even though they are estranged, really actually wound up in the end working together. It's certainly a possibility. And maybe working I'm, together I'm, because there was 
a payoff for them. Who knows? I, I don't know. But but at some point, somebody convinced them because mm. suddenly the, the Katrina thing, oh, I don't want to be dragged into this, suddenly became Katrina, the celebrated Me Too victim all of a sudden. And so I find that interesting that that is the uh, tactic that has been taken that now suddenly uh, these two seem thick as thieves, uh, husband and wife. Uh, ex-husband and ex-wife, and 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 there was money changing hands, mm-hmm. and we still don't know where the money went, uh, and and nobody's really talking or or compelled to talk. So that's that's Not interesting. Sure. And clearly, though, uh, the attorneys must know something about the recording because one of the things that I think is important to note is I don't think that this recording was made on a cassette tape. No, it was made on an iPhone, according okay. to Phil. So an iPhone, when you do an iPhone and you tape something on an iPhone where you're doing the iPhone uh, audio recording thing, there's right. a date yes. on the iPhone that you can't really change. I mean, there's, you, you can't manipulate the date on a, a, an iPhone recording, correct? Um, I'm not sure what an expert could do. I suppose for an average person, it would be quite difficult. Yeah, I would say. And, and I would think even for an expert, you'd have to take a lot of time to try to manipulate a date. So that recording is there. And the iPhones, to my knowledge, uh, have been looked at by the defense and the prosecution, correct? That's my understanding. I see. Hmm. Lots of interesting questions. Because... I mean, we don't know what was on the Sneed's phone other than the message um, from Katrina or to Katrina from Newman about contacting her attorney and Katrina laughing with a front over possibility of a payday. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would be very interesting because it turns out that uh, that maybe this wasn't actually just as organic as we think it all was, and uh, that'll be interesting to discover. Now, do you is it your to my knowledge, I'm hoping at some point, I think they're just waiting for all this stuff to finally be settled because at some point, hopefully, the individuals who are defending Governor Greitens will actually be able to tell the story, at least the story that they see as being the truth. By the way, has Coster been interviewed at all by any authority, whether it be the committee or the... Uh, not to my knowledge. That's wow. a, you would think he would be an important part of this uh, since... Since he was, uh, according to Katrina, her father figure, you'd think that Daddy would want to be interviewed. <laughs> you would think so. I don't know, but wow. apparently not. Yeah, I'm, that's that's interesting. How they wouldn't want to talk to him about what he knew about uh, this whole thing. It was was there's did, a lot of interesting things. Did did did, uh, did is there, do you know whether or not Katrina? thought of Chris Coster as her father figure while she was also with Eric Greitens or did she have did she think of him as a father figure before she got with Eric Greitens I I don't know the timing of that she would but she but she wasn't asked about that was she no, no, oh. she wasn't asked about a lot of things. Yeah, that's interesting because she was asked about she was asked about a lot of things, but she was not asked about a lot of things that seemed to be important. 
No, I mean, for example, in the House testimony, she keeps saying, quote, how she was intrigued about going into the basement for a, quote, sexy workout. Nobody ever asked her, what did she think a sexy workout meant? I've never heard of such a thing as a sexy workout. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, that involves some sexual contact. Well, if it's sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're doing it wrong. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, well, that's wow. interesting. So, so uh, back to Chris Coster again, though, real quickly. So, is it possible that? Well, let's see that 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 Chris Coster, if she says he was a father figure to her, that he was a father figure simultaneous to Eric Greitens being a different figure, or was it maybe after? Eric Greitens, or I, I'm just trying, I'm trying to figure, I've, I think I would want to talk to Chris Coster about this, if I were one of these goofballs I, I, down there in the, on the committee. Definitely, I mean, they, she certainly knew them both at the same time, so, you know, at what point she developed this father-daughter figure relationship with Costner, I, I don't know. But. So she knew each other, she knew them at the same time? Yes. Oh. That's interesting. By the way, what was it about her skill that uh, that was so attractive to people who worked in Jefferson City? I don't really understand that either. I, I don't know. I, That's what everyone is asking on Facebook yeah. as well. They were like, she must give one hell of a haircut. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, one hell of a something because she's, she's with, she's with um, Stacey Newman too, so... Did just uh, and and Stacy Newman uh, has that helmet head, so I don't understand <laughs> what helmet hair. And then so you've got that, and then you have Coster. She's versatile. And apparently, from uh, we, we know, um, from the uh, her deposition, she offered you know at least the government, you know, uh, Greitens some extra services in her shop. I mean. Oh. It is interesting. I mean, it really is an interesting question. Yeah, why all of these people, why there is one hairdresser that both left and right go to? Well, two, two governor candidates, yes. for crying out loud. I mean, two guys who were set up to be the next governor of Missouri, both of them decided that Katrina would be cutting their hair. Well, what I find interesting is we know Newman's a Democrat. We know Costner's a Democrat. Right. Back when... Greitens started there. He was a Democrat. And I keep asking, why was she so worried about her business failing? I mean, who's going to stop going to the hairdresser because of an affair? It's almost like you wonder, did somebody like Newman say, you know, just as we refer clients to you, we'll take your clients away? Well, I do know that that Newman, though, too, and part of this whole thing about Greitens becoming a Republican, uh, in in Newman's circle, uh, it was not very... It was not looked on very favorably, uh, particularly since there was a great deal in that community uh, involving shaming people uh, of the same faith, for instance, uh, and, and that's happened quite a bit, mm-hmm. where it was they were shaming people um, for, like, for instance, the, um, the, the, in, in the Jewish community, apparently Governor Greitens received a great deal of shame coming his way from other Jewish people. And in fact, even when the Gelman team, uh, when they decided they weren't going to advertise on the show anymore, they were told, uh, 
uh, Mark Gelman told me that it was a Jewish thing. So, so I, so I, I mean, that's what he told me on the phone when he when he left. That that, that was the. He goes, it, well, you know, I'm getting a lot of pressure from the Jewish community. You know, it's a tight knit community. So apparently, there's a certain level of liberal Jewish community members who really don't like it when there are people who stray too far away. Definitely. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll uh, certainly learn learn more about this uh, down the line. I'm sure. I, I do think that it would be fascinating to be able to uh, check in with Chris Coster at some point. Well, maybe maybe people on the internet can ask to, since Twitter now that they know about Chris Coster's involvement, they can uh, kind of look at this whole thing. But I'm glad you brought it out, Definitely. Eugene Burnett. Make sure we go. You go to the change.org uh, petition there, and it is uh, posted in the posted comments. right there in the comment yep. section. There, urgent. Stop the coup against Governor Eric Greitens. It's at change.org. Post that. We'll also put it on the uh, web page for you as well. So, Eugene, thanks for the illumination, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Yeah. Wow. So this will be up on the podcast. You can listen to it all day long. Given some, that was stuff we didn't know about, even though it is in the test. When I walk beside her, I am the better man. When I look to leave her, I always stagger back again. Once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. When I climbed down to be set free. She took me in again There's a big, a big hot sun Beating on the big people In a big hot world When she comes to greet me She is mercy at my feet yeah. When I see a pin of charm She just throws it back at me once I dug an early grave to find a better land She just smiled and laughed at me and took her blues back again
down and threw away the hours of her garden and her son. So I tried to warn her, I turned to see her weep. Forty days and forty nights, and it's still coming down, man. It's a big, a big heart, son. So it turns out, too, that if you dig right down into it, there are a lot of people who are commenting about what they saw as certain things that were being done by these two individuals, Katrina and Phil. And I don't know about what they were doing, what they were buying. I don't know, you know, suddenly somebody has a new truck or somebody has a new kitchen or whatever, but but you can't really necessarily tie that directly to Whatever was happening, people do that all the time, and people renovate their kitchens all the time and buy new trucks all the time. So, I mean, I, I don't know I how don't. you could possibly. Well, I, some people do. Okay. Some people with, with resources, uh, you know, I mean, people with, you know, they just do that. And also, by the way, it appears uh, that there might have been a relationship to where, uh, I do believe that in the Central West End, which is where Katrina worked or works or whatever, I don't even know, is um, also happens to be where Coster lived. Governor Greitens lived there too. Yeah. Uh, Coster lived at the Chase apparently when he was in town, you know, when he'd come into town. Or I, I, I don't know. All I'm seeing is isn't it interesting that Coster has not been interviewed? at all by anybody regarding this situation that involves an alleged victim who calls him a father figure. So that's why I said you'd think you'd want to you'd want to interview daddy and find out what what he had to say. Or and also in the beginning when you're running for governor, wouldn't it have been great 
had Chris Coster come out and he, he would have been the original feminist, like the, like the Me Too guy. He would have been the guy who came out and said, you know, look what Governor Greitens, look what my opponent did to her and, and how he treated her and how he did this and did that with her. Look at the terrible things he did with her and he should not be governor and I should be governor and I'm standing up for women and victims everywhere and women who have been attacked and who have been missed, who have been abused. I'm Chris Coster and I approve this message. He didn't want anything to do with it. it Why though? Because if you are somebody's father figure and you care about somebody, like for instance, if I were a father figure, although I don't, like that term. Unless I'm your father, I don't really want to be your father figure. That's just kind of the way I roll, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm uncomfortable as a role as a father figure for anybody but my children. So that's odd to begin with. And some random chick, I'm not going to be your father figure. Get it? Yeah. So, so that's just kind of like not how normal things roll. But if Chris Coster... I mean, listen, the, by the way, I think I'm pretty sure he was uh, he's unmarried, right? I don't think he's married. Yeah, so, so this would be the perfect time, would have been the perfect time, since they did have the tape. As Eugene Burnett pointed out, they, they, have, they had this tape, this recording, before the election. So all the Democrats knew about this recording before the election. And since Coster seemed, according to her own testimony seemed inextricably involved in all this, I would think that Coster and, and even the Democrats all would have come out and said, Eric Greitens, he's cheating on his wife. How could you possibly be trusted? How could he be? And, and, and she says that he took her down for the sexy workout and <laughs> blah, 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 while this was happening. And I would think that because Chris Coster was at one point considered a shoe-in for governor. Now, that might be the reason why he didn't want to make a big stink about Eric Greitens, because he thought, well, I'm going to win this anyway. Greitens is not going to be the governor. Coster was almost positively sure that he was going to be the next governor. So maybe they just figured, well, why rock the boat and why be part of all this? Yeah, it seems like... Yeah, if anybody had that dirt, if you will, on an opponent, unless you equally may have, just maybe, had equal dirt as well, you'd probably want to put that out there. Unless, of course, it could also jeopardize you as well. Yeah. Interesting. I was uh, wondering the same thing. So, anyway, that that's uh, that's interesting. That was... Truly, if you guys just now get on and you have not heard, if you didn't hear that interview with Eugene, and what was Eugene's last name? Bernat. Bernat. B-E-R-N-A-T. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pretty stunning, some of the things that he said. Yeah, it was said. a half hour long, and we kind of covered all the bases there and got to it, and uh, things become a little more clear, and and the clarity surrounds the actual messiness and cloudiness of the entire thing. So so as things become more clear, 
the actual circumstances surrounding this attempted coup of Governor Greitens certainly become more cloudy, but only cloudy for the people who are actually running the show in trying to get Governor Greitens out of there. That's the thing that's cloudy. What's frustrating for all of us is there is no authority out there pursuing the pursuers. And the only authorities that we have now in terms of our power are voters. And if you are a voter, then I believe you ought to go back in time and scour news articles and look, for instance, at some of the – who was at the news conference of Republicans who were – many of them are cowards. they're, they're, They're term limited, so they're not coming back. But who were the Republicans who were standing at the, at the microphone not too long ago calling for the resignation of Eric Greitens? You need to find out who those people are and make sure they are not reelected. That's one way you can, you can fight back. The other way, and it's unfortunate that Eugene Bernard doesn't work at, oh, say, the Post-Dispatch, <laughs> because maybe at that point the public would know a little more about it and would have a different perception of exactly what's going on. Some of the other Republicans who were involved in this, Jay Barnes, some of the others, they ought to be, uh, they ought to be looked at with, at, at the very least, a level of mistrust. Not, every single one of these people, if you go back in their history or you go forward in their proposed futures, they all have a stake in running Eric Greitens out. None of it has anything to do with their morality, their ethics, their desire to have a clean government, so to speak. It's all about them knowing that Governor Greitens represents a hot poker for them, and so they want him gone. And you all know what a hot poker is, right? (laughs) I'll things become more clear. I don't understand this. Without a doubt, the events in Philadelphia prompted us to bring 8,000 stores and 175,000 partners together on 529. Yeah. This is Starbucks. And I tried to make it through this four-minute video of how Starbucks is wanting to end racism with this 529 meeting with racial bias training. So they're trying to train all their people to know what racial bias is and to figure this out. Now, keep in mind, this is, these are people who make frappuccinos, okay, and coffee. Well, this was because of the prior scandal, I think, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Where, yeah, where they kicked, they kicked two individuals out of the store. Yes, But nonetheless, this seems to be somewhat of an overreaction to the errancy of a couple of employees, which is confounding to me. Because keep in mind, they they did a whole video about all this. Now, keep in mind, Starbucks, there's a possibility they're going to have, there are going to be people who work there who are goons. I mean, every place has somebody who doesn't really understand. But at that point, then you take those people and you either fire them, punish them, do whatever, or retrain them, whatever. But Starbucks, I'm trying to get through this whole video here, and I I can't really understand. Because that is not who we aspire to be. 
529 is an opportunity to renew our commitment to the third place. It's a team guidebook renewing their commitment to the third place. Now, I'm already lost because I don't really know what the third place is. Are we supposed to know what the third place is? I don't think so. I don't know what the third place is. Is there a manual that goes along with? Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's a guidebook. It's 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 it's, it's I just I saw it right in front of my eyes. It's it's the Starbucks uh, guidebook. Unless it was like put together for this video. Because we understand that racial and systemic bias have many causes, sources, and ways of showing up within each of us. That means pretty much everybody's guilty. <laughs> the piano music in the background. That makes you feel even more guilty. Oh, yeah. Because the piano music is soft and it's not biased. Yeah, it's very unbiased piano it's music. A, it's piano music that is non-discriminatory uh, for you. And so anytime you want, that's why, for instance, had I just had a piano playing behind my David Hogg tweet, mm-hmm. it would have been, I'm going to add piano to the tweets now. Oh, David Hogg. That's the other thing that's going on, and we'll follow up on this just a little bit because we talked about it extensively early this morning. But if you didn't catch it, you want to catch the David Hogg-led die-ins at the Publix grocery stores, this one in Coral Gables, Florida, where they went in, laid all over the floor, and thankfully there were shoppers who just stepped right over them to get to the watermelon and the produce and didn't bother with them. But for the most part, the saddest part is that Publix basically allowed them, first of all, to invade the store, which is, to me, same thing that Galleria did. When, when they, they should have basically had guards in front of the doors telling these people they were not allowed to run through the Galleria screaming at people, Okay. And because it's not a public place, it's a it's a it's a private place. And as we pointed out earlier, if David Hogg or the Black Lives Matter people really want to do something that has an impact, go to the places where people are actually getting murdered in by the dozens. But the problem is you won't go there because you know why? It's not safe for you to go there. And that's why the Black Lives Matter people decide to go to Baldwin instead of Wren Avenue in North St. Louis. And that's why David Hogg decides to go to a public store where there are reliably um, cowardly liberals who will let them in the store to begin with. And, they, and, and then instead of going to the place in Coral Gables or Orlando or whatever, where people really are actually getting murdered at, at the rates that would be concerning to everybody. But that's another story for another day and in our communities. So to get things going, Kevin will welcome teams. We are here to make Starbucks a place where everyone, everyone feels welcome. And Common, one of our guides, will help folks start exploring their own identities. Common, I have no, I don't know, you lost me. You lost me at Common too, because we all know what Common's rap is, right? Yeah. Helping people see each other fully, completely, respectfully. Once partners have gotten warmed up, they will start to explore the third place and its relation to our mission. Howard will join the conversation and explain why the third place even matters, its origin story. And he'll also share his hopes and dreams for this next era. And so on a personal level, I want to ask you that together, we do everything we can to build that third place in your store. And it's from this anchoring point that partners move into a real and honest exploration of bias. 
This is going to take long. <laughs> this is that. You imagine being a Starbucks employee no. and having to, knowing <laughs> you're going to have to endure say. this thing. Oh, man, where you're like, no, I have to actually go in today for bias training. Yeah, right. And they're going to do identity. What was the, that line? It was, they're going to do identity training? Identity. How about, not, how about just not being a racist and not being an a-hole? And when somebody does something racy at your place, remove them. Yeah. Pretty simple. But instead, they got to go through this. And they don't really say anything. It's, it's not like it, they just call it 529, which is kind of weird anyway. It's like we're in this kind of Orwellian world now where everything is given like either a number yes. or a euphemism or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird, too, because I think what's happening is, to tell you the truth, this is a lot of this is related. And listen, I know a lot of lawyers and I know a lot of good lawyers and I like lawyers. Everybody needs a lawyer from time to time, right? This seems to be a lawyer thing. So, because you know what's going to happen is these people who were kicked out of that store are going to sue. And, and so you have to make sure if you're Starbucks that you've done this kind of thing because it'll soften the blow of any future lawsuit. So while, while they know they can't end racism and they can't stop a bigoted employee from doing something racy, the least they could do is they could lessen the blow when it comes to a lawsuit. So this whole rigmarole is really about kind of like trying to say, oh, um, we sue us, but we really have done everything possible to teach our yes. individuals to not be bigoted. So that's, that's I mean, it's, it's, that's what about most of like what you go through in terms of uh, sexual harassment yes. training, all that is really designed for the company to have kind of a CYA in the event of a lawsuit. That's kind of Absolutely. how it all works. Because yeah. they ask you right up front, what did you did the did your staff members undergo any training for this? So it is. It covers you to say, absolutely. Hey, we put together a, I couldn't imagine, as crazy as it sounds, how much that costs Starbucks. Oh, to put. oh I bet you that is a $50 million rollout, you know? It's not going to cost them anything. It's going to cost you an extra <laughs> dime on your, your coffee with the candy bar in it, or whatever that is, the Frappuccino. I'm, it is true though. Um, did was it was it the was it man's desire for whipped cream oh. in a coffee that created Starbucks, or did Starbucks create the desire itself? Starbucks created the desire. Okay, because 100%. because yes, because normally like just a black cup of coffee is good for me, frankly. But but I didn't think that there was like a, a an organic movement in our culture for uh, pieces of pumpkin pie to be stuffed in our, our coffee cups, correct? There is a movement in, to be uh, to load however much sugar and fat you possibly can in a container and drink it. They're even talking... No, 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 Jamie. I read this one the other day. They're even talking about the new color. I kid you not... For millennials, and I, I hope I don't get it wrong because it's like it's a very specific color, but it's essentially like fuchsia. It's it's purple, and they even showed that Starbucks, because of this, is even 
coloring one of their drinks is now purple because that is the new millennial color. Yeah. I kid you not. Well, it's kind of like when, for instance, they have uh, two Big Macs for the price of one. It's kind of like, well, <laughs> first of all, why are you doing that? Because you know, you know two buds aren't going to McDonald's saying, hey, they have two for the price of one. You can get one, and I can get one. <laughs> no. Uh, Fatty McFaddington yes. is eating two Big Macs. That's that's what's going on here. So I'm trying to figure out like why, why is in and in, in really in in the end there's this kind of weird promotion of mm-hmm. gluttony. Yes, and that has nothing to do with like saving you anything. Like two for the price of one deals are only for you to have two that you're going to stuff down your gullet instead of one. I remember now. See, see if you remember this. You're you're St. Louis, so this this may sound familiar. I remember when the coffee shop was Gloria Jeans. Do you remember Gloria Jeans at yeah. all? It was in Crestwood. There was one in Crestwood Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Gloria Jeans. And that was like it. That was considered a coffee shop. Right. And they were rare. And then they kind of, you're right, they kind of created. Until somebody, well, we'll tell the Willis, we'll tell the story yeah. of the birth of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup <laughs> because you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. No, you got my peanut butter in your chocolate. So I guess somebody came into Gloria Jean one time mm-hmm. eating a Snickers bar. And suddenly the Snickers bar fell into their <laughs> cup of coffee and boom, Starbucks was born. No, in all fairness, I know everyone's going to say, well, Starbucks was created in Seattle, you know, their first store and, uh, you know, years and years and years ago. But you're right. I mean, some of these drinks that come out, the caramel macchiato with 9,000 calories and you see these kids and I don't think they understand. Like I'm drinking coffee. There is like, there's no sugar in this yeah, coffee. Yeah, I do black, black coffee. And uh, yeah, I think these kids don't understand when they go into these and they get these eat grandes because you can't call them small, medium, large either. If you've noticed, they're grande. Wait, what, vinte, what happens if you vinte. don't? What, if, what happens if you don't call it that? Does Starbucks kick They'll you correct out? Them? You is welcome. How do you define bias? Melody Hobson, an expert from the Perception Institute, as well as a Starbucks store manager. The Perception Institute. <laughs> I need to get one of those. Explore what bias means and how it shows up every day. In each and every one of us. Don't let any white males sit at this table. Make sure you don't do that. Don't show any white males sitting at this table. Because that's how you define bias is, as long as you're white, you're biased. When we close down our stores to get more training and hopefully come away with more learnings around bias, can we structurally change the organization? So I think we would say the structural work is something that has to be done for far longer than the four-hour day. And that's policy? That's the work the company has to do to support the partners in the individual work, because one of the things we do... <laughs> I'm just trying to get through this. I think to myself, can you imagine just what these people... Like, like, imagine all the different ways they could poison people and come up with those ideas instead of coming up with this stuff. Like, can't you guys sit around the table and come up with some other thousand-calorie cup of coffee? Actually help the business thrive and grow? Make the business some money. But instead, these four people are sitting around a table talking about structural things. Don't want to see is for each person to have to bear this burden alone. After a bit of learning and inspiration, partners will explore a bias personally and how it shows up in each of their lives. When I first started working there, I had to deal with difficult homeless customers all the time. I found someone in the restroom shooting up. 
Immediately, I shut down, I froze. They'll then explore the realities and impact of racial discrimination in public accommodations. Now, see, what they do then is turn this around. So, so it's a, a homeless guy walking in and wanting, like, half a cookie that you're throwing away is apparently a challenge for them, bias-wise, everything else. And then somebody's shooting up in the bathroom. <laughs> so what happens next? Cue the video of drinking fountain, white-only drinking fountains and of... Uh, white-only lunch counters, which, of course, was a dastardly, horrible part of our history, yes. which I still can't believe it was as, like, when I was, I was born in 63, there was still separate drinking. I mean, blacks weren't even allowed to vote when I was born. That confounds me. But a person shooting up in a bathroom or a homeless guy asking for whatever a homeless guy might be asking for it does it should not present a handbook challenge for you at some point, or should not, not is not something worthy of this four minute and fifty five second long documentary, and then all these meetings with all these people who would be better off maybe coming up with some better ideas. Dana on Facebook actually was able to inform us on what third place is. In community building, the third place is the social surroundings. Just track me here. In community building, the third place is the social surroundings separate from the two usual social environments of home, which is first place, and the workplace, which is second place. Examples of third place places would be environments such as churches, cafes, clubs, public libraries, and parks. Gotcha. I'm glad this isn't the test. Oh my gosh! This sounds like something you'd get in like in in like eighth grade. Explain the third place. It's like I wouldn't be able to remember that at all. <laughs> whatever she just said, but Dana, thank you for that. I mean, I'm sure that that that's illuminating, but just simply more confusing. Again, this is a lawyer-driven thing. Much like I told you, when it comes to people CYAing themselves with sexual harassment, which is a bad thing or with with racial discrimination, whatever, that's what this is about. It's kind of like what happened when I was on the airplane coming back here, and there was a little bit of turbulence, and the... And by the way, I'll preface this by saying, I love Southwest Airlines. I love the people who work at Southwest Airlines. I love the airplanes at Southwest Airlines. I love how they do business, and I appreciate everything they do. The flight there was great because we had a um, we had a uh, flight attendant who gave us a nice, beautiful Memorial Day speech, which unfortunately a lot of people weren't listening to because they were on their headphones or doing whatever. Uh, but I listened and posted on Facebook everything else, and then on the but on the way back we ran into. Uh, a little bit of turbulence. It wasn't really much. I mean, they had to kind of change a direction and lower their altitude a little bit, but it seemed to me to be kind of a, and made the flight attendants all sit down. And I've been on flights that were a lot more turbulent than the one that this one was. I mean, we were kind of going through some pretty hectic weather, but it wasn't, I've been on a lot bumpier flights than that before. And so I'm thinking, okay, so that's fine. Time is running out. I'm not going to get my gin and club. Is that correct? No? Okay. And then they finally said, well, we're going to cancel service. And blah, blah, blah. Hopefully we'll get to a point where you can, um, we'll turn the seatbelt light off so you can go use the bathroom. Well, the seatbelt light never turned off the entire flight, even though it probably could have. 
And I, I'm thinking that the pilots were being overly cautious, which is fine, because nowadays, you know, if someone gets hurt or something, or somebody spills a drink on themselves, you know, now you got to be crazy. Like, you know, usually a little bit of turbulence is just kind of part of the game, you know, and you can have a bumpy flight, you know, something like that. Uh, and I guess maybe they didn't know about the predictability of the weather because you never know. I'm not a pilot, so I don't know whether or not they saw something in the offing that said, oh, we could drop 5,000 feet. And, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. actually that, you know, so maybe they were thinking that. I don't, I don't know. But eventually I did give up on the gin and club, but I needed to use the bathroom. So legitimate question, what happens when you can't use the bathroom and they tell you, but you but really here's a, here's need a, Here's, a, here's what I'm getting at then. So this is where the lawyer thing comes in. So I said, can I use the bathroom? And the flight attendant said, I can't tell you you can. And I'm going, okay. That means that I can just get my ass up and go there. And if I break my neck because the jet falls 5,000 feet, that's on me because the flight attendant did not tell me I could get up and use the bathroom. So uh, at that point, a couple beats later, I'm unbuckling and I'm on my way to the bathroom. Now, did she come to you or was that over a speaker? Oh, no. I, I, she, when she walked by, uh, you know, at, some, at one point when it was a little smoother, when she walked, after they, they didn't have to sit down anymore, at that point they're collecting okay. trash or doing whatever. Uh, and I asked her, I said, can I get up and use the bathroom? And so uh, she just said, I can't tell you, you can. (laughs) I'm picturing their training for that, you know. Well, and and, and legitimately, because the problem is it's not really necessarily, like even even in Starbucks defense here, unfortunately we live in a society where people just sue and complain about frigging everything. And especially even uh, now, I've been fortunate to to have never had the experience with with obnoxious people on a flight or whatever. I think we had one time a long time ago. There was a woman who was clearly um, either on drugs or something when we were coming back from Disney World, and so I'm thinking, why are you letting this woman on the plane? First of all, and so suddenly they did let her on the plane. Suddenly we get up in the air and somebody's running back there. Like whenever you see a flight attendant running down the aisle, it's never really a good sign, (laughs) but that was a little bit more like, Oh, okay. What's going on here? So basically what we did was we flew probably at about 10,000 feet all the way up the coast of Florida, just in case we had to drop down and get rid of her. But (laughs) that's, you know, you are uh, right. In all fairness, the airline, if you've noticed, we go through shifts in society. At first, it was all about police officers a few years ago. It was all about like footage of police officers doing things that were, and that's still kind of going on. Now, if you've noticed, a ton of headlines are airline. Oh, yeah, them people, kicking this yeah. person off, them not allowing this person on. They're under. Oh, why? Well, it's people weird. people are so needy. Yeah. I mean, pe- people people are so self-absorbed that it's only their needs. And now, uh, keep in mind, yeah, I had to use the bathroom, but it was on me at that point if I broke my neck because we took a dive all of a sudden. That's fine. <laughs> but it was it was it was on me at that point and not on them. But the problem is they 
they have to be so careful now mm-hmm. about everything. And, and even these pilots, you know, even now turbulence is something that, I mean, they apologized I, I don't know how, over and over again for the bumpy flight. I'm going, it, first of all, it wasn't that bumpy. Secondly, we're in an airplane. <laughs> You signed up for it's this. kind of like what what <laughs> happens sometimes you know you sometimes you're gonna have a really smooth flight sometimes you're gonna have a bumpy flight. You all don't have to apo- i mean it's not pilot error when you have turbulence. <laughs> I mean they did what they could you know one pilot's going, yeah, we did uh go south of the storm or north I can't remember uh and and we did you know go we dropped below, but apparently they were so sensitive about it that they thought. Uh, oh my God! The, the, we had a bumpy flight. We really apologize. It's like, okay, well, that's that's okay. It's um, it's an airplane, and we're up in the <laughs> it's air. Like, it's, it's kind like of like kids. I'm so so sorry. I hit the rumble strips. I didn't yeah, mean to hit right, the rumble exactly. strips. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I tried sorry, so this, hard. Sorry, the stoplight is so long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's just it's just like it's, it's okay, funny. you guys. You, you you're good. But the problem is though, now companies are such in a position now where they have to be so ultra careful. It's why, for instance, uh, when David Hogg and his crew went into the Publix, yeah. the grocery store allowed them mm-hmm. to lay down in the aisle where people were shopping and spending money in the Publix, and yet they, instead of coming in, grabbing them by the collars and throwing oh. them out the front door, Dang. which is what they should have done, they let them dominate and take over and squat in the store. And again, as I told you before, uh, David Hogg, they wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do this in in the inner city. They wouldn't do this where the murders really take place. And they wouldn't do this at the Korean grocer because they'd be hit with a stick. <laughs> so, uh, but but that's where we're at now because, because heaven forbid, one of these students... Oh. You know, gets the the handcuffed, or you know, or gets manhandled somehow, and suddenly Publix hates oh. Parkland High School students or whatever, and and it just has gotten to this point where it's just crazy to the point where a, a, a business will jeopardize its own business just to accommodate these needy people. Yeah, because you're never going to see the headline the next day, Publix. In can massively inconveniences their everyday shoppers. That headline you won't see. It would only be the reverse. Well, and here's the other crazy thing about this is that Hogg is pictured with an ACLU legal observer. So it's this chick in a blue vest. Like like it's like a like a it's like the Red Cross, you know. So she's in a blue blood. Thank you, ACLU and Coral Springs PD, for helping us all exercise our First Amendment right. Now, keep in mind, now you're wondering, oh, why were they at the Publix to begin with? Why did they pick on Publix? Well, you know why? Because Publix dared to contribute to the campaign of an individual who supported the NRA. Now, you know what campaign contributions are, right? They're a form of speech, correct? And in fact, it's your First Amendment right to go ahead and contribute to the campaigns of people. But while David Hogg and his crew are all talking about how beautiful the First Amendment is, apparently when Publix 
the grocery chain exercises its First Amendment right to contribute to someone's campaign, they are subjected to mob action, disruption of their commerce, and disengagement of their customers. It's pretty the, ironic, huh? Yeah, it's the classic you have to be tolerant only on my side. You only have to be tolerant on cuz I'm not going to be tolerant to your side. It's 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 classic. Yeah. Parkland shooting survivor David Hogg staged a die-in inside a public supermarket. That group is upset that the grocery chain donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to gubernatorial candidate Adam Putnam, a self-proclaimed proud NRA sellout. Yeah. That's a First Amendment action on the part of Publix, all right? Which apparently that part of the First Amendment is something these individuals simply do not care and about. And just within the last hour, Publix announced it is suspending any future political contributions. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so Publix, now keep in mind, uh, I, I think that companies ought to make certain decisions. I'm, I'm not quite sure why they're contributing so much to campaigns anyway because if i'm i I don't know whether i do that anyway but the bottom line is though the public just they they caved the minute these people went into their their stores their hallways i guess I, i guess we can't say it's that weird i mean if you're a public organization you have to buy real estate you have to so of course you're gonna camp you're gonna contribute to campaigns because if your guy gets in you hope he makes it easier for you to expand in different tax breaks. I mean, that's well. It's it's why the it's why, for instance, the people who run the uh, Dixie Rodeo for yeah. Dolly Parton or whatever they called it, and they took the Dixie out of there because these people who run her organization were hoping to set up shop in all kinds of different communities. As the Dixie, I forgot what was it called, the Dixie Jamboree or Dixie Stampede. It's the Dixie Stampede, and they took the Dixie out of there, but but they're trying to expand in other areas. And of course, all these all these fascists on the city councils out there, the minute they hear that the Dixie Stampede is coming, they're not going to give you the zoning to set up. So they all preemptively took out Dixie from the thing. CBS Force Ted Scouten is live in Coral Springs, where the protest just ended. Ted. Yeah, Ruta Van Elliott, it got kind of confusing out here early on. Uh, that's because after Public said that it was suspending those political contributions, David Hogg, the leader, decided, okay, we're going to call this off for right now. We're going to talk to Publix. But then uh, after thinking about it more, he decided, no, it's still on. And they. Yeah, went- after thinking about it more. Yeah, well, see, Publix already uh, cowered and surrendered to our fascistic attempts to close off their free speech. But let's go in anyway, because the camera, because because CBS four is there, you know, we got to do that inside the Publix. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas student David Hogg leading a group into Publix. They're there to protest the store's support of with a bullhorn, too, which is similar to the to the ones uh, we saw in in the Galleria. Again, these individuals only care about death, apparently, and believe me, Black Lives Matter. You know what happened when the, when the students from Parkland, who were the black group of students, said, hey, uh, we've been talking about gun deaths for a long time. How come you're not including us in there? Well, 
you you guys know what the answer is, right? Like 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 there's a black student group that got they I think they were covered like one time by one news organization. They held their own news conference saying, you know, this is interesting how this is a big deal. And of course, it is a big deal when students are shot at a school. It's a terrible thing. We get all that. That's not the argument. But notice how when 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 uh, this happened and then these students came out and said, you know, we've been concerned about black gun deaths for a long, long time. And you all seemingly aren't weren't part of our movement then. And now you are. And of course, the lesson learned from all this, and I've told you this this morning, I've told you this before, is that in order to get any attention when you are murdered with a gun, you got to be in a high school, white, do not dare to be on a street corner in Chicago or on Red Avenue in St. Louis and die as a singular death because then you're just going to be added to a toll that's going to be put on some kind of website or maybe in the newspaper, but you're not going to get any attention whatsoever, just so you know. And, and you're not going to get attention from David Hogg and his crew, who would much rather go into a Publix and harass those guys than actually stand where people actually are getting murdered at massacre levels, like maybe in Chicago or I was or, just going to say, yeah, yeah. If, if Chicago couldn't get attention when Obama was president, yeah. they're out of I luck. I remember a gubernatorial candidate, Adam Putnam. Publix reportedly gave him more than half a million dollars. He is a A-rated politician by the National Rifle Association. He has been called out and said it himself that he is an NRA sellout and that he will not advocate for any sense, any gun sense. Inside the store, students and supporters staged a die-in, laying on the floor for 12 minutes. That's 720 seconds, each second representing a mass shooting since Pulse nightclub. They also read the names of their friends who were murdered on Valentine's Day. I'm doing this for Joaquin Oliver bought his flowers here for his girlfriend. Publix opted not to stop the protest, allowing the students to complete their rally. But inside, counter-protesters were waiting. I can't tell whether or not these are individuals who are counter-protesters who came there anticipating the trouble or who were just simply trying to buy some Starkist tuna. NRA and Trump supporters saying this isn't fair. I'm a constitutionalist, and I think that this is ridiculous. 3% of child homicides, people under 18 murdered, happen in schools. The other 97% happen somewhere else. Why aren't we talking about that? Yeah. Wow. And, and, that's, and that's the thing where I think, like, for instance, you look at even the Black Lives Matter movement. I do believe that in terms, when you separate the the issue because you're asking Black Lives Matter you're going so why is this again about the police when when there are blacks dying constantly forty so far in the month of May that's one murder one point one murder a day okay in Chicago and yet you think the police are the problem now there are people in the Black Lives Matter movement who will tell you no. It's not about that. We, we, we are equally trying to encourage um, uh, the inner cities and, and, and uh, black communities to stop preying on each other. We're doing that. But, but most of it is centered on the police. It's seemingly, as this guy just pointed out, that a lot of these gun activists and these people 
are not going after the, the, the real problem. I mean, that guy just pointed out the, the, the statistics regarding high school students. It's like, you know, and, and David Hogg legitimately is focusing on the, on the, on the students in schools, and I, and I get all that. But if you're really going to focus on the NRA and guns in general, then, first of all, that's not really necessarily a place to go because this, this wasn't about this, if you had a list of reasons why <laughs> this happened, access to guns or, or actually uh, the, the gun laws probably would be 10th on the list, if, if at all on the list, of all the pathologies surrounding these, this Parkland shooting, which, which apparently they, they don't want to address. So even when it relates to with poor security, when, when David Hogg and these guys are all said, hey, okay, clear backpacks only. Yeah. It's like Nazi Germany. Okay, we're going to start locking the doors and putting them fences. No, it's like a prison. It's like, okay, what is it that you... So so you want then to go to Jamie Allman's house and and take his gun away. That's what you want to do? So that's kind of where we're at. And here's a look at part of that statement from Publix. It says, as a result, we decided earlier this week to suspend corporate-funded political contributions as we reevaluate our giving process again. Well, meaning they're not just going to give to anybody now, right. which even if they wanted, let's say, to give to a Democrat, there might be a Democrat who supports gun laws. Look what you've uh, gun more gun, more gun restrictions. Look what you've done. You've basically told that guy that he's not allowed to be the recipient of public's exercising of their free speech. Yeah, I'm sure they felt like they were in a rock and a hard place on this one. Like, gosh, you know, in the boardroom, like, I guess we suspend it. And they're like, well, it's really going to be a problem when we need to support a Democrat who also has a B rating from the NRA. Yeah, and you, and you have to really wonder, you know, because if, 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 you're, if you're all about just simply shutting voices down, Keep in mind that there's going to be a time when there are other people who want to shut your voice down if you're on the left or left of center or whatever, and, and you're, going to, you're going to have the same problem. Hopefully you won't, but that's going to happen. I'll make this uh, First Amendment uh, argument locally here as it pertains to me and the situation that, that I had. A, a boycott is, is different. When you have a boycott... Like, for instance, what Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement did, they were trying to exert change within a certain system. And they were trying to keep, they were trying to have individuals who were in that system uh, force change as well. So if you boycott this or boycott that, whatever, then you are trying to encourage businesses to stand behind your movement. And that and that's right. But But they weren't trying, they weren't, wanting to close the businesses, and they weren't trying to put people out of business. Now, enter into the situation regarding, for instance, Stacey Newman and her situation as a state representative. And when you are a state representative and you're using your title to prevent other individuals from exercising their freedom of commerce, whatever then you're representing the state at that point because you're state representative. And when you're using your name state representative or rep Stacey Newman, you are an emissary of the state doing that. When you're an emissary of the state and you are tweeting businesses, telling them 
not to advertise with a certain person who you have already stated you want off the air. You're running into a variety of different kinds of violations that ultimately we'll see in the fruition here. But what you're doing is you're, you're trying to prevent the exercising of a First Amendment right. And not only that, you're also, as a state representative, in a position to possibly affect the business that you're trying to coerce. So it would be different if Ryan Jaycox right. or so-and-so out there uh, tweeted one of my advertisers, stop doing this. And the advertiser could decide, well, okay, I, I will or I won't, whatever. When you're a state representative yeah. and you're telling a financial operation, an insurance operation, or anybody else who is regulated by you as a, an emissary of the government, that's a problem. That's a pretty serious issue. Yeah. And it, it, it goes beyond First Amendment rights, but it goes into other territories as well, including civil rights. So you're a, you're a, that's a problem when you are a representative of the state and you're, and you're actually using that title to coerce, even intimidate businesses that you potentially have the power to affect through change of laws or through the governance of agencies that affect those businesses, yeah, you're running into some really rough territory that you probably should have consulted a lawyer on before you did it, but that's just the way it is. Because a regular person, if they would have just, just an everyday person uh, would have done that, it would have, it probably wouldn't have had the same weight as the fact that she was and is a representative and acting under that handle of, and by handle, you know, Twitter handle and these kind of things as representative. And stated as her goal. Right. My firing. So, so that, so then suddenly you're in all kinds of different, different kinds of territories where that, that's going to give you some trouble down the line eventually. But, but again, back to the first amendment thing, one of the things we're stating too uh, in, in our effort to be able to uh, have my old advertisers come to me, is we are making the claim, and that's why Dr. Deputy's been awesome about this as well. We are making the claim that that because in my contract, which I signed, uh, it, 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 that that says that I can't contact my advertisers for two years after I leave. Of course, these kinds of non-competes are designed for people, like, like for instance, if I just left the station right. to, to formulate Radio Free Almond and resigned from the station, left it, and then started to drag all the advertisers around, well, that's, that clause is designed to prevent me from doing that because I'm, I'm simply just moving and then stealing all their stuff. But when the company has stated on paper they no longer want you to be there, and also breach the contract in the process of getting rid of you, at that point, that clause becomes slightly moot. And also then boils down to then at that point, a First Amendment restriction on Dr. Eric, for instance, who, who should be able to exercise right. his right to advertise and sell his things 
to anybody he wants to. Uh, and, and because that's that's a form of speech, which it has been identified by court after court as a form of speech. Pretty, right. uh, pretty simply put. And so that's where we're at with that. And back to Publix again. Publix, in giving money to a gubernatorial campaign, that is their own exercising of a freedom of speech, a form of freedom of speech. And so it's really weird for David Hogg after, by the way, after he is already uh, torpedoed their freedom of speech yes. by making them not contribute money to a political campaign, still goes in, trespasses, and declares that this is a victory for the First Amendment. That's rich right there. Yeah, because even when you see like unions protest outside or protest at like Schnucks or, you know, we've seen this here in St. Louis, they don't go into the buildings. They usually line up, right? They pick it along the road. You know, but why, why don't they go into the buildings, Ryan? Well, because that would be trespassing. Right. Correct? It's illegal. <laughs> yes. It's illegal. That's why they don't do it. Yeah. And they, and they pick it outside on, on public property. Yes. Yeah. Unless you're a certain class of victim yes. or class of individual, you are thus not allowed to, to be there. Now, I did notice, though, that there were NRA supporters in the publics as well, although I can't tell whether they were just people who went in. Like, I, I don't know how, how much, how this was all planned or what, what the deal was, but apparently there were some people who were shopping there who were not happy about, this presence of these individuals and called BS on them while filling their shopping cart. I love the picture of the woman who was grabbing like a, <laughs> a slice of watermelon off the thing, stepping over one of the kids. It's great. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know, by the way, I totally don't mean to switch subjects on you. You've not said one word about the huge upcoming event that's getting ready to happen for Radio Free Alvin. Well, because we are trying to get everything lined up perfectly. But no, we have not done that yet, have I we? I know, no. Well, because we, every, well, by the time when I left town, though, yes. on Thursday, everything wasn't, wasn't buttoned up necessarily. But Thursday afternoon, we went ahead and, uh, and uh, sealed the deal uh, with Discovery Design, which is great. Uh, and that is my buddy Rick Pogue and his great outfit out there in St. Peter's, where I'm telling you, they will build any truck to any specification you want to. They are individuals who are able to, if you have a roofing business or you have any kind of construction business, they're talking about conveyors, they're talking about hoists, and they're talking about this and talking about that. They're talking about painting, and they've got a whole new segment there where they're, they're only doing painting, uh, wrapping. I mean, you name it, these guys are doing it. And Rick and Jerry Pogue, I really appreciate their loyalty to me and to Radio Free Almond and to the brand. And so out there at their brand-new location, Discovery Design, we are going to have our big, well, let's see. Let's, what are we calling it now again? Let me remember what I called yeah. it because it's a long, long thing because <laughs> Doug Giles is going to be there as well. And this is called The Warrior and the Wild Man, Radio Free Almond Throwdown Palooza. 
And it's going to be from 12 to 6 on the 9th of June. 12 to 6 on the 9th of June. We're going to have a kids section, which is yep. going to be Dr. Deputy's uh, own section. He's really he's done this before at some of his festivals, that kind of thing. But he's supporting this, uh, and and that would not account to him advertising on the show. He just has he's I'm allowing him out there uh, like I would anybody else to kind of show what they're all about. And so it's going to be the Deputy. Kids section the out there. Pediatric kids pediatric section. Pediatric kids section, yeah. So there's going to be a bounce house oh, there yeah. and face painting yep. for the kids and everything Balloons. else. And then we're going to have a variety of food trucks out there. And by the way, see, before I left, we only had, I think, one, which is Russo's. And they're a great restaurant. They're going to be out there from 12 to 3 because they're going to take off because a lot of graduations going on. Who else is going to be out I there? I don't have the names, but I do know we're going to have – I have one. Kona Ice is going to be out there. So for amazing uh, – Yeah, we know yeah, what that is. You know what that yeah. is. Yeah, and what about and the barbecue place? There's also going to be a barbecue place, and there's going to be a Creole-style – uh, as well, food trucks. So we've got. But one. you don't have the names of them. I need to get the names. I I don't have the names in front of me yet. Oh, I'll get them. Okay, <laughs> I'll get. So them. you wanted me to talk about it, but you didn't have any information. <laughs> I, well, I got you. I'm All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna okay. So we're gonna have the the, the food trucks out there, and then also we're going. We're still looking for a. Uh, a beer purveyor. Yes. Because it's got to be cold beer out there. And so a couple people, uh, disappointingly, are not really responding. And that's just, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, so we'll, we'll figure something out and, and, and get that going for you and soft drinks and that kind of stuff. So we'll have that. Believe me, we'll have that settled by the eighth night. And then so uh, Doug Jowes is going to be out there. And Phil Valencia, otherwise known as Nine Killer on Twitter and a good friend of mine, He's going to be spinning the music, so we're going to have music out there. Uh, Scotty Brandt at Moto Exotica, we're going to have like a mini car show going on at the same time. And the reason why we're having it from 12 to 6 is because I know a lot of you are busy with graduations and stuff like that. So I'm encouraged, or or, uh, school picnics or what have you. So I'm trying to create it so that you all can kind of come in and out, spend a couple hours there, go, whatever, but we're going to kind of have that rolling bit. I would encourage you, if you want to see Doug Giles and you can't make it to the festivities the night before, which I'm about to explain, then um, I would encourage you to get out there before 4 or so because I got him on a flight headed back to Austin uh, as of about 6. So he's going to have to pop out to the airport a little after 4 so if you want to check out Doug Giles and see him, I would, I would encourage you to be there uh, probably before 4 or a little bit after that. Uh, the night before, we, anything else about the, the, the Palooza? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. <laughs> and we're going to have, we're going to have a, a, and Rick and Discovery Design, they're going to have all the, their trucks out there. They're going to have their Blue Lives Matter truck out there. They're going to have their veterans truck because they love to, like, make their – to, to – make their trucks into like floats yes. and things like that, yes. which is fantastic. So that's going to be out there. And again, plenty of food, plenty of drink, plenty of fun for the kids, plenty of music, and the little mini car show from Moto Exotica. It's going to be a ton of fun. Then the night before, uh, Doug's coming in that afternoon. Uh, Doug Giles, ClashDaily.com. I think he put something on Facebook. I got I to gotta make sure I share that. Um, he's going to be coming in, and then we are going to be at the Missouri Athletic Club 
and that is going to be Friday night. That's the 8th of June. The Missouri Athletic Club West, which is right off of DePere Road, and we're putting together, and you are you putting together a flyer about all this and everything? Yes, okay. there will be a Facebook page probably today. There will be a Facebook event. That way you guys can share it with your friends and family okay. as well. Okay. So uh, we're going to have the book signing. That's going to be where we're going to have the three. I ordered, I had three different sets of books delivered uh, to me. So we're going to get Pussification. That's one of his older books. Uh, Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls, which is another one of his oldest books, older books. And by the way, he did raise a couple of righteous and rowdy girls. One of them is Hannah Giles, who is the subject of a documentary you'll see streaming now on PBS, which is all about her takedown of acorns. So the Giles family is pretty well put together there. So Doug's going to have that and also um, rules for uh, radical radical Christians. Christians. And this is his brand new book, which is doing great by the way. And he's going to be signing all three. Now here's the deal. With the payment, Doug is a PayPal guy. He does PayPal. So I, I got to figure I don't know. I've never done this before, so I got to figure PayPal, checks, or cash. So it's not, not going to be a credit card thing. So for the books, you're going to have to do PayPal, um, cash, or checks. Just, that's just the way it's going to be. 5.30 to 8 at the Missouri Athletic Club. We've got a room set aside. I think we're going to have a little uh, bar there to purchase drinks if you want to, soft drinks, what have you, and that's going to be there. And it's a beautiful, it's a really good place and perfect place for uh, the event there. So Excited that's about it. Both of those. Yes. The Warrior and the Wild Man, Radio Free Almond, Throwdown Palooza, 8th and 9th. You're going to be tired of us by the time Sunday rolls around, but we're going to like it that way. So the 8th, 5.30 to 8 at the Missouri Athletic Club, and then the 9th, 12 to 6 at Discovery Design, and that is right there in St. Peter's. It's off the service road in St. Peter's, off of 70 there. Uh, Really easy to get to. You can even see it from the street, and we're going to do it up. It's going to be really great. And it's going to be kind of, even though we did have the happy hour here at Gaslight, uh, this is going to be the kind of the official kind of debut of the Radio Free Almond thing. So if you want to get involved any other way, uh, I think I think we had the Knicks, the lemonade stand idea, correct? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> but between your rendition of the poisoning and it was, uh, it got... Intense quickly. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't plan on <laughs> on lemonade. No, health departments and permits, and then you were fearing uh, what was it, the Jim Jones scenario? Or... <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> hilarious. Cool, the Kool Aid trick. Yes. So that's going to be a ton of fun. Hopefully the weather's going to be great. Yeah. And that's always kind of a... That's Rain not or a, shine. Though. Yeah. Usually that's a pretty good time, a trusty time of year. So uh, we're going to focus on that. And then we'll put more information up there. So yes. hopefully you guys will come on out and we'll have a good time. Hopefully you can make both of them in, in one form, elation, or another. All right. So back to guns really quickly, though, because I wanted to get mm-hmm. uh, to this on scene. It's, it's um, uh, Pat Ryan. He's running for Congress. And he's calling for an assault weapons ban. He's an Iraq war veteran. And you want to listen to him talk about this for a second? Because he doesn't sound um, 
very sharp, unfortunately. But he's a Democrat running for Congress in New York, and he's interviewed on CNN. to stand up for the students, parents, the teachers who have come to me over the course of this campaign. We've been at this for a year now, and I cannot tell you the number of times that I've heard from them, this feels wrong. My kids going to school, feeling unsafe, me having a feeling in the pit of my stomach when I drop my kids off. See, that's the problem with the Constitution and with First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third and Fourth. It's really not how you feel that matters. And you don't have the right to feel safe necessarily. Or you don't have the right to have no fear when your kids go to school. It's not a right. But it's important that you feel safe. And it's important that a society and a government makes every effort, whether whether it be through hiring more police officers or hiring guards at the school or instituting policies, uh, backpack policies, that kind of thing, um, you know, or, or, or whether it be, for instance, like I was flying over the weekend, obviously, and I had, I had some stuff in my pocket, and I had to get the once over. I I was asked whether they wanted to take whether whether I should they wanted me to go to a private room for this pat down. <laughs> I'm going no, no. You can grope me right here. Yeah, you, you prefer you know, open groping. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but uh, but I but I didn't mind uh, that at all because uh, I think my fellow airline passengers have the right to feel safe. Uh, I mean, right to be safe. Uh, and, and if, if I'm considered to be somebody who needs to be double checked, I'm perfectly okay with that because I would want them to double check the other guy too. And that's fine. I'm not one of these guys. I'm look, not either. The TSA, look, the TSA did that grandma. It's like grandmas could carry bombs too. And knowing the mood, it's no longer going to be some some 25-year-old Arab anyway. Correct. It's going to be grandma or a baby or whatever else. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not worried about that at all. But again, um, I, I don't necessarily have the right to feel safe, but based on the fact that I am now, it's a privilege for me to fly and paying for the ticket, uh, the airlines... Uh, and those who regulate the airlines should be making ever effort to make me safe. Every effort. Right. Well, not, but there's no guarantee correct. that I'm not going to be on a plane that's hijacked. It's just, it's just not a guarantee any more than there's a guarantee that if you go to school, you're going to be safe, or that if you're a parent, you're going to feel safe. And everybody's definition and perception of safety is, is different, which is why we don't rely on that. We rely on the Constitution. Right. It's kind of like what when people say, why do you need all those guns? What are you afraid right. of? And I say, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's perception of safety is different. I'm not afraid of anything because I'm armed. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, so, that, yeah. so you know, we know what the policy solutions are on this. Do we? Because, you know, as you know, I mean, I'm sure you get the pushback from people who are real gun gun enthusiasts. This CNN woman, Alison Camerata, she was hazed for being too easy on them. But I don't think that's I, I think that actually was not a bad question for her to be asking right now. You know, um, if you outlaw AR-15s, only outlaws will have AR-15s. 
I hear it all the time. So uh, the way I think about this is with all the rights that we have in our constitution come responsibilities, right? And, you know, you can't stand up in a crowded yeah, theater and, and scream fire. That's a terrible argument uh, because actually you can uh, – you actually can do that. That's a myth that you actually can't do that. Uh, obviously, you can be charged with inciting a riot, whatever. He's trying to, but he's trying to make the claim that because there are limitations on the First Amendment, there could be limitations on the Second. But he's not counting all the limitations there are on the Second yes. Amendment. Yeah, you can't own a hand grenade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and also you have to go through a background check and everything else when you buy a handgun. Right, which is not technically written into the Constitution. No! It is actually, un- a background check is actually unconstitutional. Yeah. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't own, for instance, a fully automatic Correct. weapon. Well, you can, you have to go through a six-month waiting oh, period. Oh, yeah, you well, yeah, you've yeah. got to go through a dealer, whatever it happens yeah. to be. But but you, but there are a lot of limits. I mean, there are <laughs> plenty of limitations. I mean, just comparing it to, for instance... To tell you the truth, uh, there are a lot fewer limitations on free speech than there on the first amendment. They're on the second, big time. I mean, I would think I, I think it's big outnumbered time. by a lot. You know, we have to have reasonable limitations for public safety. And the line to me is the weapons that I carried in combat for 27 months should not be on our streets. They are. They aren't. What he carried was fully automatic. Right. They were they were fully automatic and three round burst. I don't know why arms. she was she was accused of uh, being light on them. I don't think I think she did a fairly fair job in that in at least that one uh, minute and two second bit. I there. get so tired of that that phrase right there. That the the weapons first of all weapon it's a firearm that they carried are the say he doesn't want they're not. I hate that that phrase, that phraseology, that the, and that's what they run with. They say, "Well, you guys are carrying the exact same weapons that are being used in war." No, they are not. An AR-15 is absolutely not an M16 or an M4. Which Plus, is an what AR-15. I have one, Gosh. and an AR-15 is like. I would never want to go into combat with that thing. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> I not. I mean, you know, I mean, it would be, it would be all, shooting all over the place. Stop. It, would, it wouldn't it's be really ridiculous. You know, it's not. A, it's 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 a fun gun to blast, but it's not something tactically that you really would want to kind Gosh. of be carrying around with you in terms of <laughs> in terms I, of combat. But here's the other thing, and and this is where things get a little hard because. You you appreciate the service of these individuals uh, who have served in the war. Yes. But just because you're an Iraq Iraq War veteran doesn't make you correct about guns. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it, it makes you certainly a person of higher stature, in my opinion, than somebody who doesn't serve in the military. Uh, you certainly have. Um, uh, proven your courage and your strength and your spirit and your passion and your bravery and your dedication to this country, but it doesn't make you right about certain things. It's kind of like the argument that I've heard over the weekend on one of the shows. I can't remember because it was just kind of floating around my computer. And it was a guy who was maintaining that President Trump should not attack Bob Mueller because Mueller is a Vietnam veteran. Right. So the guys decided that that on Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. 
uh, he must bring up the fact that Bob Mueller's a, a Vietnam veteran and therefore must not be criticized for his handling of the case well, or how he's comporting himself. And it's hard to say because we have a lot of military people who listen to the show. And my son uh, is an Iraq war veteran, but it doesn't make you more correct on certain issues. You don't, you don't have correct. a higher authority as it relates to the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, whatever. Clearly, uh, you've defended it because yeah. you're defending our Constitution when you're out uh, doing what you're doing. But it doesn't make you more right. He's done more than David Hogg has done in life for the country. Uh, yes, I would, I would maintain that the, that is absolutely the truth, buddy. All right, and finally, I promised you guys this, so I want to make sure I get, get to it. Uh, this is – the gun stuff is important to you, obviously, as well as some of the other cultural stuff we talked about. But this is really a great piece from Stephen Moore. I love Stephen Moore. In fact, I want, I'm going to reach out to him get him on the air with me because – with us because he's a, he's a smart guy. Stephen Moore helped – President Trump developed his economic policy as when he was running in the campaign. Stephen Moore has been with Forbes magazine, and he's just a smart guy all around. But he calls this the mojo of Trumponomics. <laughs> the second time I've heard mojo today. The first one is apparently the new Star Wars thing doesn't have the Star Wars mojo. The, the new Disney version of the Star Wars. Mm. Apparently people say it, it's not doing well at the box office, whatever. But school just got out for crying out loud, people. All right. <laughs> I mean, you know. Everyone's uh, on vacation. Yeah, exactly. Or, or they haven't even gotten a chance to go see a movie yet. So anyway, um, Stephen Moore says one of the key principles of Trumponomics is that faster economic growth can help solve a multitude of other social and economic problems. I mean, this is how this is not perceived by Democrats is beyond me. How Democrats can continually are mystified, progressive Democrats, particularly those in inner cities, are continually mystified by the reality that more stakeholders in your economy solves all kinds of problems. Stephen Moore points out poverty, inner city decline, Lowering the national debt. I took it a step further earlier when I talked about President Trump's dedication to uh, the resurgence of community banks, which will be helping uh, inner city, rural individuals uh, have more access to loans, business loans, and therefore to be able to start businesses and therefore to be able to become more of a stakeholder in the economy. That's going to be critical to our future success here. Anyway. He says, um, we're not quite at a sustained elevated growth rate of 3% yet, but the latest economic snapshot tells us we are knocking on the door. The growth rate over the last four quarters came in at 2.9%. That is higher than any of the eight years of the Obama presidency. Halfway through this current quarter, this is from Stephen Moore, which began on April 1, the Atlanta Federal Reserve estimates growth at 4%. Wow. If that persists through the end of June, we will have reached an average growth rate of 3% under President Trump. Keep in mind, the 4% number is critical. That's the number 
that we had to reach to be able to essentially make up for the loss of revenue. I hate that term, but that's the way we talk about it, unfortunately, because whenever you cut taxes, it's described as a loss of revenue, which is uh, total baloney. It's like when a situation when there's an per- individual who um, robs you <laughs> and you decide you're going to plug him in the stomach instead of giving your wallet – it would not be described as a loss of revenue for said <laughs> robber, but apparently with the yes. uh, with the with the government, if it's not allowed to take more of your harder income, it's considered a loss of revenue. Anyway, when the tax cuts were first proposed, the Trump administration said, "Don't worry about it," because hopefully the growth of our economy, thanks to not only the tax cuts but also the confidence in the economy will more than make up for the receipts that won't be coming in as a result of the tax cuts. It's, it's, it, and, then, and they all say, well, this is all this is, uh, uh, pie-in-the-sky commentary. It's, it's not going to work. And already we're at the level right now where we're getting there. So you've got um, halfway through the current quarter estimates of a 4% growth, GDP growth rate, which is exactly the number four, four and a half that the Trump administration said would ease the burden, if you want to call it that, of the tax cuts. Pretty cool. Yeah. So he said that um, the sustained growth at 3%, but we're, we're not there yet because we haven't seen any right. numbers yet. Uh, that's Moore says this isn't bad at all, given that every liberal Trump critic trashed his campaign forecast of 3 to 4% growth as an impossible dream. There was an economist who's Larry Summers, who's Obama's first uh, economic advisor, chief e- economist. He declared that we were admired in a new era of secular stagnation. Now, we are also seeing, Stephen Moore points out, to see the dividends of the tax, energy, and regulatory pro-business policies. So right now, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, reports that tax revenues in April, by far the biggest month of the year for tax collection because of the April 15th filing deadline, totaled $515 billion, 13% increase in the receipts from last year. Now, it's never good news when I see the government getting more money the state of Missouri experienced the right. exact same thing. Recent headlines showed that receipts were at their all-time highest. But on the other hand, it's also an indication that more people are making more money and the government is stealing more of it from them, yes. which isn't a good sign. But nonetheless, any idea somehow that these tax cuts were just taking from the government and would never be able to be made up – completely turned out, and so far have turned out to be completely false. Well, yeah, and you, you called it, well, I guess according to the headline, like a Trumponomics, but I mean, it really goes back to the original concept of Reaganomics, which was a thrive, you can have lower tax rates if you have a thriving economy. Well, and the people who claim somehow that trickle-down economics <laughs> don't work uh, are absolutely wrong, which, yes. is, uh, which is kind of why even... When, when the president went ahead and signed the omnibus bill, I was a little concerned because a 
like the state of Kansas did this, where they cut taxes but didn't cut spending. Mm-hmm. And and in order to really to to really make things work, you have to cut spending too when you cut taxes. But the problem is, it uh, looks like now, uh, we not only continued spending, we yeah. also cut taxes, and yet receipts are up 13%. They probably could be more if we didn't, if we didn't spend more. But that's what you got to do. Kansas didn't yeah. do that, which is why, you know, you, you hear Mark Case or somebody always talking about the, the Kansas. Oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. Kansas. Never didn't work in Kansas. It's like, yeah. Well, they didn't cut spending. That's, that's been the whole crux of the problem. Yeah, they call it Reaganomics because there's a system, a formula to it. It's, right. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately with Reagan, you know, they had the tax cuts, but also you had a really huge increase in military spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so ultimately what happened is you didn't see the kinds of trickle-down effects that you might have seen otherwise. But that's not a, re- that's not a reason to say that trickle-down economics doesn't work because it absolutely does. That's the design. You can, I mean, you can see, I mean, here, like, you know, just as an example, I'm up at Lake of the Ozarks. There are, you know, there's boats there that are $2 million boats. And these guys, I mean, when there's people cleaning their boats, there's, and they're paying them great money, the better they do the more that gets passed down. And, and everybody feels it. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's really what's, uh, what's important here is that we get the message out that this does work. And that's why Democrats are going to be in such a bad situation. That's why you're not seeing this, this, this blue wave because, because it, it's not really uh, it's not real, not really happening. And also they don't have anything to run on. Uh, and, and, and there's not another Confederate statue out there for them to prey on. There's just, there, there's nothing there. It's driving them crazy, which is why, for instance, you saw over the weekend, the left creating fake news in order to perpetuate this, this myth that somehow the Trump administration's horrible or, uh, you, you, the, the, Bad economic forecasts driving the country to the ditch have gone the way uh, of the of the predictions that President Trump would start World War Three or what have yes. you. Uh, and then you you have this other situation though where you do have a um, uh, a uh, the fake news that happened over the weekend, and that was where it was originally tweeted by some left wing loon this picture of these two uh, kids and they're sleeping up against a fence. And this is at an intake facility, an immigration intake facility. And they, the guy tweeted it out. It was retweeted multiple times by, by the left. And all over the, it was all over the place. He even made some newscasts and that kind of thing. Well, it turns out that the picture actually is from 2014 during the administration of Obama, not Trump. And yet... With the exception of maybe one or two people, they never wound up correcting it. They said, this is America now. This is what the immigration policy is all about. This is what's happening now. And we have to reunite these kids with their families. And, of course, it takes place on Memorial Day, which is a day where we're celebrating freedom and the people who died for the sake of our freedom and everything else and people trying to kind of kind of shoehorn this this immigration stuff in there, uh, it was a major fail. But they have, but again, they have to create this stuff to make it real. Yeah. So that's how it all wound up, baby. All right. So we're going to put the um, Eugene Bernat 
petition up there yep. already up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's got some really great information. Make sure if you miss the 7 o'clock hour where we interviewed Eugene and talked to him extensively about some of the circumstances surrounding uh, the whole Greitens affair and Katrina Sneed and Chris Coster and all the other stuff. This is where um, you're going to get some maybe some new information, or at least you're going to be reminded that there's information out there that other outlets aren't talking about and that the committee down there in Jefferson City isn't dealing with. And there are cases where the prosecutor hasn't really turned over every stone. And I think now we know why, because if she did, she'd find there was no there there. The only frustrating thing again, folks, is we just don't have anybody who is taking the lead in prosecuting the prosecutor or holding accountable the committee attempting to hold Eric Greitens accountable. So somewhere on the line, it's going to be up to the voters. And and again, I encourage you, if you are voting Republican, to go back and take the names of the individuals who called for Eric Greitens' resignation. They are individuals who should not be reelected. Uh, either find somebody to run against them, primary them, or uh, in the event that they're term limited, make sure that you ask whoever's replacing them what they would have done in a similar situation. And if they say they would have called for Eric Wright's resignation, make sure they don't get elected. That simple. And then we'll wait for the other shoes to drop, I guess, right? Right. Okay. Information about the uh, 8th and 9th will be on uh, the website, too, eventually. Absolutely. Yeah, should be today. And it'll be all about uh, the warrior and the wild man, Doug Giles. Myself, we'll all be out there. Ryan will be out there. Dr. Caputi's going to be out there. Rick Pogue, my buddy's going to be there as well. Discovery Design, thank you so much for hosting the big barbecue and Missouri Athletic Club West for the book signing on the 8th. Uh, We'll tell you more about that as time goes on, but we'll make sure we have a place for you to get all the details. But reserve that weekend to enjoy all the fruits of Radio Free Almond. Have a great rest of your day. Don't fence me.